are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. That's right, it's Andy, aka producer BTW on Twitter, and sitting right across from me is Danny Gutierrez. What's up, everybody? At dgutierrez84, if you care to follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, welcome to that's right, the recap WCC special. That's World CryptoCon. We were just in Vegas, literally. A few days ago. Yeah, it was intense. It was intense in a lot of good ways. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a freaking blast. Yes, you did. Um, Vegas for me is always hit or miss. I like to gamble. I didn't have time to gamble. I didn't gamble but at all. I might have lost $40, but I... One, I was on parking. Yeah, so World CryptoCon was an event we talked on the show we were leading up to, Daniel. And it was a big event in Vegas. A lot of cool projects, companies, and also enthusiasts were there. Yes. Um, and there, and also on top of that, some friends we know very well, like the Satoshi Droppers. A lot we of people re- we like, represented quite a bit. Yeah, like place. Bitboy, Wendio, the Stash, uh, Jay Chains, a whole bunch of people. Brecky. Brecky. Uh, Holy, holy crap. It was, it was a blast in Seeing general. everybody out there. Yeah. Uh, so really quickly, though, we wanted to do a big welcome because there's a good chance that you're here from either a Reddit post or a Twitter post or, or Discord or Telegram, uh, any, any of those different facets, um, because you're a fan of somebody that we may have interviewed on the show. And that is wonderful. Thank you so much and welcome to the show. We want to take a little bit of time to introduce ourselves and who we are and why not you know why to listen to other parts of the show just besides the one part uh from your sp- particular coin or 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 business that you're into so we are the coin boys we're average everyday crypto bros although i feel like we've learned a lot more we've been doing this podcast for about a, almost a year now yep and we've gotten a chance to speak to so many people if you listen to the very early episodes it was just us doing research through computers and but now we've been able to talk to the people who work on those <laughs> Uh, work on those coins, work on those tokens. Work go to on, events like this. Go to WCC. events like this over here at WCC. And we even get to talk a little bit of history uh, throughout throughout the show. We love the history of this this whole technology. Yep. So um, we're very, uh, we'd never talk price. Why? Uh, because we don't know how to predict price. <laughs> exactly. And no one does, but it's just not our style to do that. So we, but we do yeah. interviews. We we talk about cryptocurrencies. Obviously, we just don't tell you what to buy. Yeah. We hopefully we inform you on coins you might be interested. So to buy. so the other thing is we promote adoption and use. Uh, we try to use Bitcoin and and, and other cryptocurrencies just as uh, just to see if we can basically and see yeah. what our experience is. But the other thing is. We want you to be open-minded, okay? Um, there is not going to be one coin to rule them all. There's going to be many, probably as many as any stock, at least. Yes. At the very, very least. So that's so that's a big thing. Um, in all probability, not all of these guys are gonna are going to succeed. And so, what we ask you to do is when you listen to a project being pitched or anything like that, uh, or when we review something. Listen to the technology. Listen to what they're trying to do. The project may fail, but something from that that technology, something from that coin may pass on to the next thing that you're looking for. Or you may want that bit included into the next uh, thing that you're investing in protocol or next thing that you're developing, whatever it may be. And so we welcome you to take a listen to everything. Yeah, and also we're very active in the community in Los Angeles. We're a part of the the crypto scene here, so we you know, you'll know, you'll see us at events. Uh, shout out to Blockchain Beach, 
they're they're people we work with. So you'll get some really cool also um, journalistic approaches to events, which included, yeah. this is very much our style in the episode we're about to uh, toss to you. We've done a lot of episodes very similar to this one. This one is our mega. <laughs> our huge episode. This, this You're going to be here for a little while, folks. Yeah. Because and we got to speak to so many people at this place. We implore you to take your time on this episode. You know, when you hit the gym, listen to it. We have over 16 interviews on this uh, this jam-packed episode. That's right. 17 interviews or on this jam-packed episode. Yeah, I don't want to... I, I didn't want to give them a solid number. because <laughs> So you said over I, 16. <laughs> yeah. That's what you decided to say. It was really funny. <laughs> but you. what I'm saying is we're talking... We got uh, Cryptopia on this. We got uh, Monero, Ledger, uh, a few... Uh, friends of the show like Free Ross, Lynn Albrecht, Syndicator, The Mount, Gox Recovery, Switch, Vouch for Me. Uh, it goes all the way down to Crypto Cake. So much, Daniel. Yeah, we did. I know. So one of the things that that um, I get asked a, a few times is why should I go to these conventions? What's the point of going to these conventions? Um, listen, not all conventions are easy to get to. We understand that. We didn't go to Malta. <laughs> Uh, although I would have loved to have gone It was to at the, like the same time. Yeah, it was uh, only the exact same time. This one was definitely uh, more convenient. And a lot of our friends were going, so that's why we chose this one. Well, but obviously. One, one of the cool things about these conventions is right now we are in the early, early stages. So when you go to a convention, you're not going to speak to a representative. Most likely, you're going to also get like the CEO, the developer. You're going to get somebody big from that show that you can personally ask your questions to. Right. Um. You know, you want to dig deep. You really want to. You you're really confused about something that they're attempting to do. You can ask. You can ask directly, and it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but again, not everything's easy for everybody to get to. We try to go to as many as we can and tell you about. Um, let us. Uh, any of the new people that have joined us, we'd like to tell you how to find us, where we're located. You know, because I know there's a lot of uh, listeners that obviously are fans, but there's new people. They need to know. Daniel, where are we located? We are at thecoinboys.com you can email us thecoinboys at thecoinboys.com you can follow us on twitter uh coinboys podcast uh and you can follow us on instagram coinboys cast uh rate subscribe review on itunes google play soundcloud uh smash that like button no, uh, don't, on don't, don't smash, smash it, so it enthusiastic. Smash it as hard as you can. Um, definitely if you guys leave us a comment let us know whatever stars you have let us know what we can do to uh to improve this, ask questions. We love it. Yeah, we lo we like interacting with the community. We'll 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 engage with you as much as you as you engage with us. Uh, we like to reply to comments on our our uh, Twitter. You know, we want to we want to communicate with you guys. So please, it's, it's been interesting because most of the time, a lot of our friends, we end up actually just physically meeting somewhere usually at one of these conventions or yeah or we hit them up on twitter and we just start talking it's pretty cool and i think daniel at the end of the show after we get through all these interviews i, I do want to take this a moment to give our just like our overall take of the show absolutely uh, at the very end but let me start off guys we we got tons of interviews and here's the great thing we're going to give you commentary on those interviews too so you're going to hear us throwing to the interviews we're going to come out of them introduce so enjoy this awesome recap episode from world CryptoCon in las vegas first up is cryptopia where we interviewed tim and raj so about four years ago our two founders, Rob and Adam, started out of their garage and they started first off mining uh, cryptocurrencies. And then once they mined it, they were kind of like, well, where do we spend this this cryptocurrency? So they started and created a marketplace. Um, marketplace took off and then from there they were like, well, we need to 
exchange our coins for different ones to be able to buy off other people. So they they saw what was happening out there and created an, uh, an exchange. Which country, which country was this? Christchurch, New Zealand. Okay, uh, yep. New Zealand. Um, and then from that exchange, it just took off. The rest slowly got suppressed because we had to focus on our exchange. Um, and that's where we are today. The growth was mainly through December, January, um, just gone. And it went from about 500,000 users to 2.3 in the space at that time. So. Like, because that's what the crypto space has been like. It's like so much is happening so quickly. So how did that, how do you even react to that many users at, at, at such a fast pace? Um, it, it brought around difficulties. It definitely <laughs> did. So um, we, we had service lag, uh, it would be fair to say. We went from, I think we had about four staff on service level in the October prior to that. And we have roughly 40 now. So we, we threw bodies at it. Uh, and that included keeping our technology going, our platform running efficiently and well um, so yeah through bodies got got the right people in the right places to be able to start growing and leading the company so April last year uh, we had two founders we currently have 88 staff and contractors uh, working on the platform so my question to you guys is what was the purpose why did you guys feel the need to start Cryptopia what was your what was your incurred what was your what was your reasoning for it uh, that really comes down to the the two founders. Um, they really they really saw blockchain and cryptocurrency and and kind of were drawn to it, uh, and and they were really the driving force to getting it to where it is now. Essentially, in that community that has spawned what we what we're currently uh, seeing as cryptocurrency and, and moving into fintech kind of industry. And what's 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 the crypto space like out in New Zealand right now? Like, is it? really exploding is it kind of slowly starting up well, the general trend in the market is that the market's sort of flattening a little bit which, yes. is, which is fine and that same trend is applying in new zealand as well so it's no different um we are a global exchange we have offices in three countries so in new zealand australia and the uk so we have three offices um the the whole point behind that was to have a global presence so 60 roughly about 60 percent of our trade comes from the us um then we have 40 percent from europe um, and then the others, so but less than forty, then the others make up the rest. So that's the sort of split of the countries. Wow! So that, that much from that much from the U.S. That's that's, reg that's registered users. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. That we're aware of. Yeah, uh, that's very. That's actually kind of very interesting to me, um, because the U.S. is always. I felt like here in the U.S. there's so much regulation, so much like no, yes, no, 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 no. That people, I feel like people are, are very weary of coming towards exchanges at times, but um, but it's. Um, very cool to hear that that at least that's happening out here so so we kind of you know it's it's people can check out cryptopia it's it's pretty popular and i just want to kind of backtrack even more how did you both get into crypto and when was the first time you even heard of crypto that's something i'd like to ask our guests so let's start with you i suppose i, I was very novice when i i walked into cryptopia um I watched a, a Netflix documentary <laughs> about it prior. Um, <laughs> Most of us did. Most of us did. <laughs> prior, prior to that, I was a tax accountant uh, and then went into commercial work and, and through a friend heard about cryptocurrency and crypt, cryptopia and, and just the, the ability to be something that is a blossoming industry really excited me. Uh, regulation is, is not around much in that kind of area how do you apply tax as it is now to an industry like this and yeah that that kind of got me excited about it it's probably not what excites most people about it but <laughs> it does me so i'm sure others are right there with you <laughs> um so i i joined cryptopia about eight weeks ago oh. 
So I'm only new. Um, I've dabbled in crypto for about three years. Um, so I bought a few bitcoins when they weren't as expensive as they are now. Sold a few. So um, that's sort of my background. I, in terms of professionalism, I've sort of had a commercial marketing background. Um, got a law degree from Sydney, uh, but basically um, joining Cryptopia was something. It, it is is it is the evolution of money. So it, it will be the next transactional service that we provide. So I wanted to be a part of that um, at Ground Zero, and what better place than you know, joining Cryptopia? Yeah, abs- that's getting into this space is always an interesting thing because it's you either find it very intriguing or very confusing, and and I find um, I find that those that, that find it very intriguing end up getting in over their head sometimes. Is that how you feel at times? or, <laughs> or uh, No two days are the same. Let me just say that, right? <laughs> um, and I, I come in to work with the best intentions that, you know, I'm going to do my marketing plan, I'm going to do my comms plan today. And what ends up happening is you end up doing 20 other things. Yeah. But they're all exciting, right? So it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you alive. Um, you know, if I wanted a, a boring nine-to-five job, I would have stayed in the corporate world. So what are the measures that Cryptopia does to help from hacks, protect people's accounts? Uh, what are you guys doing in that field? Great question. So um, we're doing quite a few things. So given the, the boom that we've just come out of, uh, we've had a bit of a lull since then, and that's allowed us some time to do a couple of things. One is to build our customer support teams up. So they're now fully trained, and so that's our customer care side of it. Um, it's allowed us to build and focus on our technologies as well. So some of the roadmap stuff we had for two years out, we brought that forwards and started executing that now. Um, we're working on new APIs and a few other bits and pieces around that, so that's really cool. Um, and then around the security part, which is the, the crux of your question, um, we are we have 2FA on all our, well, or on some of our accounts, the ones that choose to be authenticated. Um, we also provide, we're the only exchange in the world that provides a independent dongle, which is security code on it. Oh, really? So, yeah. So if you want to trade, you need the dongle sim for the banks, some of the banks. Um, that gives you a random access code to access your account. Um, so it, it, that's how seriously we're taking SIG about. Yeah, and I would recommend it, especially because we Correct. want this to be as legitimate as possible. Correct. So, right. so we've got to follow certain rules. I know there are people in the cryptocurrency space who are like all about anonymity, all about, you know, you know, I should be able to be free to do whatever I want. Yes, but ultimately... Y- yes, and no. and you, you mentioned the question earlier, or you made a statement earlier around the the security and the you know, the liability associated with crypto. Yes, it was originally NFU to the banks, mm-hmm. right? That's what it was for, and I get that. Um, but the industry's matured, right? People are now looking at crypto. Some financial regulate uh, go, uh, industries are looking at it now. Fidelity Life have a crypto fund, so they're taking it seriously. Yeah. So we need to grow up as an industry, and to do that you need to start behaving and being more secure with your customers and more transparent with them. That's really, that's, that's wonderful to hear. So this, so um, being the fact that you guys are New Zealand, currently the only fiat that you guys have in exchange is New Zealand dollars, is that correct? Or, or do you guys also accept other fiat to open an account? Uh, that that is the only on on ramp at the moment, but it is currently closed off. Uh, oh, okay. We, we're looking to relight that one in the short term. Um, so yeah, it, it is our only on ramp, but there's there's plenty of on ramps around the world that you can then migrate into us. Final question for you guys, and really appreciate taking the time. Uh, basically, what is the future for Cryptopia? Is there any things in the far future that we can expect as consumers, or anything you guys can share with us uh, as a final question? Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, we have, we have a relatively solid roadmap of development coming forwards. Um, we're launching a new API in the inevit- inevitable future, which is very soon. Uh, we're also looking at building out some of the um, KYC 
type stuff, um, which is awesome. So for us, at least, and I think for our customers, that's that's immediate. That's in the near future. Moving forwards, um, we're looking at building tools, effectively, that allow you to trade um, similar to sh- stock. So then the investor's going to use it as put. You can put a put option on, on a coin or you can put a call option on a coin. So building some of that functionality up, um, that's on our roadmap. So we've got a, we've got a pretty extensive roadmap of stuff we're going to do. Um, it's exciting times. We're growing huge still. So we had 400% growth in staff. Um, yeah, like Tim said earlier, we've got 2.3 million users, active users. So that, that's growing. Um, we don't do wash trading. Just want to chuck that in there. Um, so the numbers you see on market coin cap are real numbers. Um, and that's what we're about. You know, we're not about inflating our numbers or talking shit for no reason. Uh, Daniel, I, I just wanted to let everyone know that this was the first interview we had uh, at the show. And also... Uh, they had reached out to us a few weeks before. Yeah, that was really cool of them. Yeah. And so it was nice to, to meet up with them. They were a great start because yes. we never really talked to an exchange before. Yeah, not, I mean, yeah, like a true exchange that's, you know, and Cryptopia's got 2.5 million active users, they say, which is uh, a lot. And they were talking about one of the biggest things, like how fast they grew. And, and you know, they were a part of that growth in 2017. You know, they kind of started pretty early right and yeah. they, they they just and we asked them like how do they handle that you know it's you, it's almost it's, like it's pretty nuts but they're even their staff grew up pretty quick so yeah it's uh, i'm interested to see what they're going to do in the future because they had done some things in the uh, in the past before these guys had stepped in and stuff so i want to see what they're going to bring back and what they're going to add on what they're going to change yeah and and just keep in mind what's really interesting is they're they're all from new zealand it's a new zealand based cryptocurrency exchange but most of their users are in america uh, uh, I, a lot of them are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate having them. We saw them around the, the conference the whole week. I took a shot with them. It was really cool. Yeah, great guys. And I can tell you, it really matters when you actually meet these people sometimes in person and you can get a good gauge of, of, the, of how passionate they are. And these guys definitely care a lot about what they're doing. They're, they're growing Cryptopia. And we'll see where they go from here, Daniel. Uh, I, we hope to feature them maybe a little bit more in depth on, yeah, on another show. Yeah, a lot of these show. projects we're, we're looking into just trying to do something longer with that. So. Now, next up, uh, we were on the floor, Daniel, and we were kind of walking around like looking like, who do, who do we want to talk to? Who looks interesting? And we went to the very first booth that was close to us. And they had so much thing. They were giving away like light bulb, like <laughs> stress balls, uh, All spinning of which a wheel. I lost because I have my stress ball. It's pack. Uh, and we spoke to Eric Hayes, who's the director of operations for them. And he goes into a little bit more detail what PAC is. And to be honest, Daniel, I didn't know a lot about PAC. Um, did you? No, nothing. No, nothing. So we, we got a chance to talk to him. And uh, here's Eric Hayes with PAC. PAC coin was originally off of the Pacifica Nation coin. We redeemed PAC coin for PAC at $3.5 trillion to $3.5 billion coins in the spring of 2018. And now here we are today at WCC in Vegas. And what is PAC trying to do? What is their goal? PAC is a mass use case model for a cryptocurrency. Right now we have 5% of our DAO, our digital our autonomous organization, being allocated to charity and the other 15% to projects to grow the coin and to make it you know, more, more adaptable and used in the real world. Is there a certain uh, real-world aspect that you're trying, certain businesses that you're trying to get at, or is it just a one-for-all kind of situation? Right now, uh, PAC is a, is a crypto, so it's not like the other tokens in the space. We're a true use case coin in the sense of we have a masternode governance system, we have a social governance system, we have a 
Uh, our master note holders get to vote in, in, on different projects that are going to grow the coin, uh, get it exposed into different areas. Like we've got use cases in Venezuela right now for the poor in their supply channel and buying you know, food on the streets. Yeah. We've got use cases coming for our debit card system, ATMs, you know, everything's just coming and plugging in the pack. That's our core call to action right now. Is there a goal in terms of when all that stuff will be released? Is it already in terms of like the ATM? Debit cards? cards coming out in the next three to six months. Okay. Uh, you'll be able to buy pizza with Packcoin. You'll be able to buy nice. coffee with Packcoin. Um, and the partnership is also leaning towards uh, real credit card usage, so PCI DSS compliance, so any MasterCard or Visa, will you be able to use Packcoin with as well. So, uh, Daniel, that was Eric, nice guy. Uh, he let us spin the wheel at the end of the interview. We won a, I got a, a, a light bulb, like I mentioned, um, a notepad, I think, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. But we did not win their iPad. They, we did not win the iPad. That's iPad. right, he had an iPad. Uh, interesting project. I do, Daniel, personally want to look into this a little further. Maybe if it, if it makes sense, we can have them back and dig a little deeper into what PACT does. Yeah. Um, but moving on from PACT is uh, Pivix. And a really uh, energetic guy named Snappy, uh, uh, Brian Dorian is his real name. And uh, I'll just throw to it. This is Pivix. Why are you called Snappy just off the top? Uh, so I, <laughs> long story short, I was got into crypto in 2011, 2012, and back then everyone was using pseudonyms when you're yeah. in the, like the troll boxes, etc. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have one. And somebody, I <laughs> uh, was in a couple projects, like you're really snappy about things. I'm like, well, that's my nickname. So snappy became my moniker, and ever since then, it's it been worked, it. It works so far. Yeah. And uh, let's let's talk about your project. Why are you here at World CryptoCon? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so uh, PIVX, uh, which is an acronym, it's also the COIN, it stands for Private Instant Verified Transaction. Been part of it since 2016, basically, right around when it launched. Um, again, it's the world's first proof-of-stake privacy-oriented COIN. Also has masternodes. Uh, we implemented the ZeroCoin protocol, again, into proof-of-stake. So literally, it is the fastest, lowest-cost private staking coin on the market that also has master nodes. It's a mouthful, but all those are really buzzwords now, so yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like, hey, we hit them all. You got, if you, you don't go. use them, yeah, I'm, exactly, like, I'm going to say right? you're not so a coin. If you got a question <laughs> about them, go look it up. There you go. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, so what is it? What is your goal? What is Pivix's ultimate goal? Are you trying to reach certain industries or the whole masses in general? What are you? Ooh, that's a binary question. Yes. Uh, the, the lawyer answer would be yes. Okay. Um, so at its, at its core base, you can look at Pivix as we are the intermediary. We are like the crypto lubricant, as it were. So you okay. could say like, oh, you're, you're just a coin. Yes, and if you think about the fact that we have an ability to be both a public and a private send, what it does is it offers companies and individuals the ability to have an intermediary for their financial transactions, right? Oh, yeah. So a lot of that technology might not be incorporated into another crypto's project, but what you're gonna see coming out, especially with a decentralized exchange, ZDEX, um, that's running on the Pivx masternodes, you're gonna see Pivx being used as that intermediary from coin to coin. Yeah, so you guys are focused on a decentralized exchange versus, cent versus centralized you exchanges. You got it, Love you got it. it. So not to be snappy, that was snappy from Pivx, Daniel. Wow, you did that? Okay, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, no, no, he was a good guy. He was well, cool. No, he was super cool. That's why I asked him at the top, like, why do they call it? You know, when you hear someone like call themselves by their nickname, mm -hmm. and Snappy's a pretty obvious nickname. Why was he called Snappy? But again, it's a project that I didn't know too much about, but something maybe we'll look into. Yep. As we hear more about them, we'll report more about them. Now, 
a perfect example of a coin that took our eye when we were walking around the floor yeah, this is, one right uh, what is it, Daniel? Said Quintrick. And we, we talked it's to spelled, a, It's spelled Q-U-I-N-T-R-I-C. And uh, we met Mirkan. Uh, or Murkan. Mirkan. Mirkan. I'm sorry if I got it ro- wrong. So sorry. So sorry. But uh, awesome guy. Really engaging. Uh, marketing manager for them. And he helped break down exactly what this is. And I'm going to let them explain. Here is Quintrick. So we're doing something a little bit different here. We have taken legal tender, gold and silver. So gold and silver US dollars and put them on a blockchain so you can now use them as money in a digital, you know, modern format that you really haven't been able to do before. Yeah, so you so everything is completely backed by wow. metals. Yes, everything is 100% backed, 100% reserves. Um, each of our tokens is worth a fixed amount of gold or silver coins that we keep in our own custodial vaults, and it's redeemable on demand. We're looking at these silver designs here. What, can you tell me a little bit about them? Sure. So these are these particular ones here I have in front of me are silver dollars made by the U.S. Treasury, by the Mint. So these are government-issued legal money. They're not securities. They're not commodities. They're not, you know, they're, they're cash. You can, you can buy stuff with them with all of the, you know, legal bells and whistles as if you were using paper Federal Reserve notes. Uh, but you, with our system, you can use them as a digital money with all the transparency of the blockchain and, you know, all those benefits in addition to, you know, the intrinsic value of the gold and silver. Uh, so why did you choose to use metal-backed versus a fiat-backed? So uh, some of the folks who originally founded this project are, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a on a on a generous on a generous limb. I say they're the leading experts in legal tender law. They're very very experienced people who know a lot about money specifically, who know a lot about you know U.S. currency and kind of the history and laws around around you know that whole. Uh, that whole field and it was just their area of expertise and they've been trying to bring back sound money you know this is the sound money movement um, you know trying to get us away from depreciating you know inflationary fiat type uh, you know type monies um, and this is just kind of the next logical step you know blockchain is uh, clearly all around us you know changing the world in all sorts of ways and we wanted to you know do what we could with the expertise we had to you know make this system a reality. And I see you guys are powered by BitShares according here. Why did you guys choose BitShares as, as your backer? So BitShares, uh, the folks behind uh, behind BitShares, uh, Cryptonomics, you know, uh, Stan Larimer, a lot of those folks were some of the partners that initially, you know, sought us out and we, you know, we sought them out. It was kind of a mutual um, partnership that we decided to form. They've got, you know, they've got a great model. Um, you know, they're great guys. We really like working with them. And so far, the system's been doing great. You know, we launched on July 4th. We're starting to build our markets and, you know, do a little bit of um, advertising here as the year goes on. So it's, uh, it's been, a, been a real positive experience overall so far. And these are just chocolates, right? I see a bowl of, of chocolate. I'm going to take one of those. So what is the uh, future hold for you guys? What are, what are your expectations? So we just launched our payment platform on iOS. That's available for download. Um, we're working on an Android version as well. You can pay people in gold and silver. You can say, hey, I'd like to you know, send you some Quint. That's our gold token or Quintus, our silver token. And I'd like to you know, pay for XYZ, oh. you know, my coffee. Send me 10,000 Quint and I'll you know, give you my car. You know, this, is, this is like, it's a payment solution. It's a money. It's a crypto. It's, you know, it's whatever you need it to be but without all like the tax nightmares that people have with Bitcoin and you know all these other projects that are going on. So that was Quintrick.
Yes. I said it right, right? I think you did. Super interesting that they're using, you know, they're trying to, I mean, this whole Bitcoin thing was about like, is there really money in Fort Knox? Like, we don't know if the money's there. Yeah, I mean. But this is kind of like, they want to show you like, look, this is really attached to this. Yeah, the whole thing about Bitcoin is, you know, we're basing the the value of Bitcoin on what we we each feel it should be. It should be. But if you if you want something that's actually backed by something, it is. Uh, it would be Quintrick. Now, I did ask them off the air as to the price because I very rarely do this, but this one was not connected to fiat. So I didn't know if it was connected to gold and silver or not. And he basically said, yeah. So it's, it sounds like it's going to be pegged uh, to gold and silver. I think that's just going to be the standard. So which means whatever the price of gold and whatever the price of silver is, that's what your Quintrick will be worth. Right. Which I think is very interesting. I'd love to talk to him a little bit more about that. That is definitely one I'm more interested in too. Just, it was really uh, something different. Uh, and I like well. that they're, they're going to have a video camera. Yes. Looking at your gold. Yeah. So you can like see the vaults and see the gold, you know. They should make it for Modern so times. smell the gold. Uh, up next is actually uh, an interesting token called Monarch token, and I believe they have a wallet too. Before the token's not out yet, but they have an actual wallet uh, that uh, Jason with Monarch is going to talk to us a little bit about both their app that they have and the future of the token. This is Jason with Monarch. Okay, well, so it's the ultimate fiat to crypto solution for merchants, consumers, and uh, investors. So basically right now, we've already built a wallet. You can have it right now. It's out, the Android version just came out, the iOS version's out, there's also desktop and PC. We, we, we built that before we raised any funds. You can have that right now. So it's the only mobile wallet that currently supports Bitcoin, every single ERC-20 token, Stellar, Ripple, and TUSD. We're going to be adding Ooh. a bunch more soon, but it's the only mobile wallet I'm aware of that supports all of those currently. And uh, you can have that for free right now. But what we're actually building is uh, something like 80% of the websites on the internet or Squarespace or um, uh, WordPress or something like that. So there's a lot of different ways to accept payments if you want to take fiat. There's not a lot of good ways to accept payments if you want to take crypto. So we're building that. Uh, so basically, if you've got, a, we, we, we'll build a plugin. So if you want to be able to accept crypto payments, we can facilitate that transaction. Now, here's where it gets really cool. We've also got a money transmitter service license. So uh, if you need to, like, we like to use this example. You want to pay Netflix $9.99 every month, and you got a huge bag of crypto that you decide you want to spend that on, we can facilitate that transaction. So we patented a technology called multi-signature wallet leasing. A multi-signature wallet means you need more than one signature on the check. Basically, we patented multi-signature wallet leasing. So we have half a private key, you have half a private key. As long as you're using the app, we have a smart contract that will execute as long as three conditions are met. Destination, amount, and frequency. So every 30 days, $9.99 to Netflix. Netflix never even has to accept Bitcoin. We still facilitate that transaction. Wow. So, I mean, curious, if Netflix were to change their prices as they've done every once in a while, would that automatically hit or would we have, as of right now, would we have to change the amount in our... Uh, I suspect you would probably have to go back in and just change the amount of the payment, but basically you can facilitate that by going in. Again, this isn't built yet, this is what we're building. The wallet exists right now, the payment solution is being built. That's Which is exactly what a lot of people need and especially like we just got a merchandise on our on our website but we can't accept crypto because there's no way to do it right, right exactly you could use what uh i mean stripe used to yeah yeah but i mean unless other, other than that you can be like here's my public wallet address and, and that, people and can send it to you which would take a which is a whole different route and a lot more headache i have a, another question in, in regards to that so like when do you hope that this will 
be launched in terms of uh, from? Well, the the we're we're in our TGE right now. Token sale is live. Goes through twelve thirty one. Um, so we are trying to finish the raise. Uh, but like I said, we've we've we funded the rest of it on our own dime already. So the wallet exists right now. You can have it for free. Yeah, and as far as ETA, I mean, it's it's tough to say, but I mean, uh, we're hoping to have everything up and running by next year. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so Monarch is actually a token I knew a little bit about. Uh, because I knew nothing about, but I did like what they're trying to do. Yeah, and uh, the reason I, I mentioned and I wanted to interview them is that there's a, a friend uh, or a friend of a friend that we actually got to meet finally in person, Beatles, a big YouTuber. He's a super informative guy he loves giving out he gives out like a hundred ETH almost in every episode really really great guy wow. yeah did not know that he is the builder for Monarch and he actually did some of the panels he was uh, running some yeah, of the panels yeah I did see him doing some of the panels he was very very good at that so it was, uh, we'd love to have him on I I don't even know what to have him on as as like a a, a news guest or as like a guest for well, Monarch. That's the awesome thing. He's both an enthusiast on YouTube and he has a project that he's working on. And we interviewed Jason, who's uh, uh, representing them at the booth. And it's uh, valid. Yeah, and I'm actually you know I would like to get maybe more info on Monarch as it gets bigger and have Beatles on as a guest host, like you said. Uh, now leading out of Monarch, we were lucky enough, and 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 something we had we had a coin of the show Monero. Daniel, yes. long time ago, in the early days of the coin. In the Wars. early, early days. In the early days, uh, we were so lucky to talk to Diego Salazar, uh, who actually has a really cool story how he created the website for Monero. And we also talk about how Monero really isn't run by a company, right, Daniel? This is very important. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to let Diego kind of go into more detail. Here's Diego Salazar. So Monero doesn't have a corporation or a foundation or anything else behind it. You know, there was no pre-mine, no ICO, no nothing. It was fairly launched, and it's just a decentralized community that is very passionate about privacy. So because there's, like, no official anything, like, I can't speak for Monero. No one can speak for Monero. And, and, and I, I kind of say it like, it's kind of like this. You think of the U.S. dollar, and you think, who is the CEO of the U.S. dollar? Okay, like, it, it doesn't really work that way, and I understand with the government, like, this, there's this whole little system and stuff, but it, it's very similar in the sense that it's used by everyone. You know, it's a currency, and just like a dollar doesn't have a CEO, you know, Monero is just to be used as a currency. And so I am a person that really uh, enjoys the privacy aspects of Monero and, and a lot of the things that it's doing, and I think it's very exciting technology. So I, I volunteer my time, like, to come out and talk at places like this or to... Um, to, you know, I do a lot of UIUX website development stuff for Monero as well. Just anything I can get my hands into, a lot of community work. So nobody really can speak for Monero. We don't have a, a set leadership structure. Anyone can get involved. Anyone can do what they want. So a quick question in regards to Monero. If, some, if a change wants to be made of some sort, how does that come about? Okay, so yeah, this, this, is, a, this is a great question. So we do have a core team, but it's very what is the word, dissimilar? It's very different than the core teams of a lot of projects. So really all that our core team does is handles a lot of um, things that require trust. For example, uh, a domain name is not decentralized. Somebody has to pay with a credit card. Somebody has to own the domain name. So we have individuals that have been with Monero Project since the beginning that we trust to kind of hold these things. They are not, so like getmonero.org is the, is the website that is stewarded by the core team and a community maintained, but it's not the quote unquote official website. So, you know, um, that's kind of setting the foundation for me answering your question. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the core team is responsible for that we tr entrust them to do is to merge code in their implementation. Now, nobody has a monopoly on an implementation. If somebody wants to make another C++ implementation, a JavaScript one, a Python one, they can do that. The, the, the core team's stewarded code is the most trusted 
and it's the most reviewed. So there's there's a reputation element to it. There's a, a, how many eyeballs are on this element to it. But they don't have like a monopoly on this code so that nobody else can really do this. And in fact, the Monero core team was not the people that launched Monero. There, there was an anonymous person called Thankful for Today that launched Monero and he was pretty quickly, pretty quickly found out to be a scammer. And so, yeah, yeah, Monero, the, Monero started as a scam. And then the current core team, the Monero core team, took that from him. Okay. And at the same time, if the core team ever starts doing stuff the community doesn't like, we can take it from them as well. There was no fork, like we went in different directions. They're just like, yeah, we're not going to use your implementation anymore. We're going to use this other implementation. So one of the things we do entrust them with, though, is kind of looking over that code and merging it and building the binaries and signing those because they're, they're trusted members of the community. People like Fluffy Pony, Arctic Mine, and Luigi111. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I was, uh, so how do, you, how do you become that trusted member? What, what, what kind of... Uh, process do you go through? Okay, yeah, so the, the community is large and vast and spans a lot of different platforms. You know, we got a Telegram community, a Reddit community, a community on IRC. Really, there's people that like that are passionate about this, and I'm one of those people that you just see where you can help. You consistently see where you can help. You know, I can't code. I'm not a coder, but I'm a good designer, like, you know, one of the real designers. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to work on this website and stuff. And as over time, people start to know your name more and more. I actually got into Monero only a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, Monero was like my very first open source project. I wasn't a tech anything before this. Um, and I started really kind of donating my time to this project, donating my money to this project. And pretty soon my name started appearing here, there, everywhere, and people start to get to know you. And it, it's just, it's, it's very organic. You know, um, and especially if, if you do work for some of the other trusted members, like they can vouch for you and stuff like that. And just as it's, yeah, it's very organic. Over time, as you start con uh, continually contributing, people start to trust you more. And so you're able to do maybe tasks that will re would require a little more trust than some other tasks. So like in my case, you know, uh, I wanted to make the website for them right away. They're like, you're pretty new to the community. Let's wait a couple of months. And so in the meantime, I wasn't just twiddling my thumbs. I, out of my own time and voluntarily, I made um, just kind of some, um, some homepage uh, pictures, uh, the, the wires, and the, sorry, the, the word just completely escaped me. No from my brain dead. I made some wires for everybody, just some designs. I'm like, hey, look, here's one option. Here's another option. And so the community sees, okay, I'm serious about this. You know, and then I, I was able to make the website. And, and, and so now from there, I have grown to, there's more trust in me to do some other different stuff as well. That's awesome. Now, the, yeah. um, real quick, I know comparing uh, Cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency is kind of it's kind of weird. But what about what aspect of Monero intrigued you the most? Why are you so passionate? Uh, so I am a hardcore privacy advocate. I believe that privacy is instrumental and fundamental to our civil liberties. When if privacy is eroded, our liberties erode along with them. And you just see this like across all sorts of totalitarian governments and stuff. One of the first things to go is privacy. And the, it's always done for your security. And so we live in a first world country where we don't have to worry about our lack of privacy being used against us for anything more than targeted advertising for the time being. How lucky we are because people across the world if their privacy is eroded, they could die. They could go to jail. They could be killed. All sorts of different stuff. And I think it's very colonial, colonialist in thinking to think, well, we're making a global currency and not taking these people into account. Privacy is extremely important. And privacy by default and mandatory is crucial, especially to operate as a currency and for these people to to survive in many cases. And so we really, we're trying to look on the fringes. We're not just trying to look, okay, where's the institutional money? We're looking on the fringes of the people that actually need this technology. 
that it can actually do good for them. And there, so there's a compassionate heart in here where we're looking at this different stuff and we're saying, how can we really help people with this technology? And really, you can't do it without privacy. So that's really what attracted me here because I want to help those people. It was really good to have perspective of someone that's involved with the Monero project. Because it's hard to find somebody yeah. to interview. I just want to say up front that I mentioned to him, I think off the air, that uh -huh. I like how they had no, their booth was literally, it just said Monero, yeah, nothing else. It, there was no, it was so plain. But the other cool thing but was. But that's cool to me. They showed up there. So w what we didn't understand was how the the whole world CryptoCon was going to work out. We didn't know what. The, well, I thought it was the schedule, first day Halloween it was open. Exactly. So, but the first day it wasn't actually. Open. They just did a poker tournament. But Monero showed up and set up their booth anyways. And he and was just sitting was there. sitting there doing a live broadcast. I think to someone their people. actually came. Up, no, someone came up to interview him on camera. Yeah, they did something, and it was really it was hysterical. And I was glad was, about his dedication. He was one of the only ones sitting at their booth. Yes, there were actually a few other booths. I noticed people were were like standing. Yeah, by. just in there because they didn't know. It was really confusing, but uh, I'm glad we got to interview him. Yeah, and what's really funny, we're gonna send our Monero over to Ledger because we were lucky enough to interview Thomas France, the actual founder of the Ledger Nano S and the Ledger Company. I'm just gonna go right to Thomas. Yeah. Let's do it. Ledger is a company and we're designing some products to make like uh, um, s uh, the safeguarding of your crypto asset easier. So we designed like the, the, the product that the killer product that we have is the Ledger Nano S, which is a hardware wallet, which is basically an offline computer that sits outside of your uh, the network and that stores your private keys and makes your your crypto assets safe. So it enables you to sleep well at night, even if you're like a newbie, uh, you've got your coins and a good security setup so your coins are never online and secure. Yes, and I, I mean, I have one, so I, could, I can attest to that. I'm very comfortable with keeping a lot of my bigger coins on there safe. I feel so comfortable with it. But let's, let's backtrack. How did you even come up with this? Like, where did it all start for Ledger? We got excited about Bitcoin in 2014, and 2014 we started to, uh, to develop in Paris um, a place called La Maison du Bitcoin, which was a physical Bitcoin center dedicated to Bitcoin. And the idea was kind of like gather the community in France around that pro uh, around crypto and see what would come out of it. So um, um, in that process, we've met with a bunch of people, some of them, uh, the team from uh, uh, our CTO that were starting to work on some some uh, stuff around like uh, crypto security, smart card security for crypto. And we kind of get together to tackle one of the big massive problem, which was like security in a crypto world. Well, uh, it's one of the biggest pain point, like how do you secure the crypto assets? And we kind of have the right team at the right time to, to, to work on that. So in 2014, uh, we decided to tackle this issue and build like the best possible solution uh, for your, uh, to secure your crypto assets. So, in mid-2014, we came up with the first version, which was like the HW1. It looked like a very, um, just basically a USB smart card without a screen, all that. Uh, and we launched that in mid, uh, yeah, I think like Q3 2014. Um, yeah, and then 2015, 2016, continued like uh, uh, working in the bear market and uh, came out with the Legend OS, which is the killer uh, product that we have right now, um, sometime in mid-2016, if I recall correctly. That's cool. Um, I, I mean, I think it's uh, excellent. This is very important for the space, obviously, keeping safety. How important is safety in general in cryptocurrency? Well, I mean, um, with this trend of crypto, well, blockchain in general, you, you shift from a model where you, know, you need to secure the bank, you need to secure the central point, uh, to a uh, um, uh, well, network where you need to se secure the endpoint of the network. So everybody's their own bank. 
and uh, there's no place for screwing up. So um, if you don't have a good security setup, well, there's no central people to call or to roll back like a transaction. So it's really for anything that is like um, life-changing and very critical. Well, security is not an option. It's like a necessity if you don't want to screw up. And a lot of people have er learned that the hard way. And yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. And let's say that for a long time it was um, it was complex. Well, security was not that easy, and it was like uh, uh, just for uh, a bunch of people who could afford it in some ways, like technically and intellectually, to 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 have a good security setup. And hardware wallets are really like a, a good way to make it, uh, yeah, well, simple enough for anybody and easy enough for anybody to have a good security setup. So for the people who are like long-term investors who just are buying it and holding on to it, although we do promote adoption and use of it, Very much. Uh, there are a few people who want to save some of it for the longer term. If I were to buy a, 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 a ledger now and bury it in my backyard uh, in a secret location, uh, how long would I have to get a new one? So like how would it still be good in 20, 30 years from now? How would that work? The devices and the, the, the cards that we are using and the components are like um, durable enough for, for, for a long time. So um, uh, you can bury it and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and get access to it like uh, in a few years time. And most importantly, you would also want to keep the backup, like um, the, your 24 word seed that you get uh, uh, once you, you generate and you initialize your device. So these 24 words, you also want to have it in a, in a durable, uh, uh, support medium like to 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 make sure that uh, <laughs> in the, in the, in the next 20 years you, you'll still have it so <laughs> make it on a crypto steel or whatever type of seal and grave type of backups and you'll be good I have one more question for you what is the perception of cryptocurrency right now in France well I think it's a bit like uh, all over the place all over the world so there was this big buzz a lot of interest coming in uh, uh, back in 2017 um, now there's a, a lot of new people working on it, so entrepreneurs like uh, spending time working on different projects. So I think it's uh, um, yeah, it's no more, no less than the, than the, any other countries follow the type of, of trends. I say there's um, there's been like some very far, uh, uh, favorable laws that were passed in the, in the favor of crypto for taxation for type of uh, projects working with a different type of token. So. Um, yeah, I've been like uh, uh, surprisingly uh, surprised about uh, how, how favorable some of the laws and and uh, yeah, the, it seems that uh, the, the countries want to 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 become like some kind of a hub for for these kind of tax. So. so I was like super. I saw the Ledger booth when we were walking around that Halloween day. I was like, we got to get Ledger if they're yeah. here. And we just happened to walk up to the booth and there was, you know, we're like, hey, we'd love to do an interview with someone over here. They're like, well, we think Thomas would be great. He's the founder and yeah. creator. And so, and this is the point is if you guys have a question, a lot of times those people are just are there. Right there, standing and they, there. And, it, and I'm not, there's no giant lines to ask, to, to ask them questions. It's very accessible at these things. Again, if you can make it. Yeah. And he told us, uh, obviously, a little bit about how it all started. Uh, he's obviously from France. Uh, really, really, really nice guy. It's what's in his name? It's in that man's. And name. what's cool is that they started in 2014, and now their product has, you know, gotten to a point where you could tell they're making it really well. They're doing a really good job with it. We saw them. They if had. If you have a significant amount of crypto yeah, that you're trying to hold on to for a while, if you don't have a ledger or anything else, that, uh, some sort of cold storage wallet, you're doing yourself a disservice. You need it. Uh, so definitely check those out. And uh, I think this is the perfect segue into protecting your, your cryptos outside of the internet with a ledger. Now we have a company called Crypto Chaos Cards. Uh, uh, Tom and uh, Jason DL, or Deal, 
DL. DL. Uh, we're really enthusiastic guys because they have a really, really interesting product. But yeah, we'll talk about it after. Let me just throw to uh, Tom and Jason here. Yeah, so it's actually a password scrambler designed for your private keys. Those mnemonic seed words that you get from a Bitcoin wallet or any other blockchain wallet. Uh, basically, what we do is we let you scramble your real words with uh, BIP39 decoy words and scramble that amongst a 52-card deck for complete and awesome deception. Yeah, this all came about because we yeah. believe the biggest flaw in cryptocurrency today is protecting your 12 to 24 mnemonic seed words. Absolutely. Those are the words you get in a decentralized wallet to protect your money. Right. And if they're stolen, your money's gone. So we have a scrambling system, like Jason said, where you could remember one card and reassemble, reconstruct your seed words in order. It's so simple, but yet when you're traveling, you could feel really safe at home knowing that your funds are safe. And you could play poker? Is, is that right? Yeah, right. poker, Texas solitaire, solitaire blackjack, blackjack yeah. whatever you want. So, so why cool. did you, why, I mean, I can guess why, but if I, I want to get the official answer. Why did, you, why did you choose poker cards to do this method? Well, a deck of cards is universal. It's low cost. Everybody has a deck of cards globally. Bitcoin's a global currency. So um, a deck of cards has more permutation than you think. The word chaos comes from chaos cryptography. So it's confusion and diffusion. And we have a method that is a scrambling system with a very simple, universal, uh, likable product, a deck of cards. And a, yeah, and a deck of cards, actually, if you scramble a deck of cards, there's going to be no other scramble deck in the world that's going to have that unique combination, right? It's super. Uh, just the method behind uh, using cards, it just does create that immense chaos that we were actually looking for. So if somebody's interested in the product, would, they, would it be one per set of uh, seed words? Um, or would it be reasonable? How does that work in terms of Yeah, ideally you would set up one uh, blockchain wallet per deck of cards. Now, you know, we do actually create a system where you're creating your own bluff. So you could potentially uh, shuffle two wallets in one deck. You could shuffle one deck amongst more, uh, I'm sorry, one wallet uh, with more decks, right? So our online system has up to 40 decks for only $9.99 a month. When you do that, you're actually shuffling your real words with all 2,048 BIP words. Wow, okay. Is there, is there a big learning curve to figuring this out? How do you feel, on, how do you, is user-friendliness? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's super simple. I mean, obviously, you pick a card, any card, and you remember it. You have your favorite card. You could even, we our system, you could even remember your favorite color. If it's red, you go red one, and then you pick your color pattern associated with that card. It's it's super user-friendly because you could create your own bluff. So right. we let people think of millions of combinations, and then they know in their head uh, how to reassemble their 12 to 24 words, and nobody else will know that. It is very, very easy, and once you have a deck of cards in your hand, and you're sitting by the TV, you're playing with them, you're going to figure it out. Uh, as easy as one, two, three. It's right on there, the directions. So, Daniel, what did you think of uh, the, the crypto chaos cards? I thought it w I love anything that helps you remember these keys or, or keep your keys, these uh, seeds, seed words safe. Um, you have a lot of stuff uh, on your mind. You have a lot of different cryptos. You have a million different wallets. Any way to help you is always, I'm, I'm for it. But what I really loved about their booth was they had a magician. Oh, yeah, they did. And here's the thing. I forgot about that. I've known how to do that trick since I was a child. He but was still, making cards float. 
they're a playing card uh, security private keys deck, so it only made sense to have a magician there. Yeah. That was funny. It was pretty interesting. I remember he walked up and he's like, hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> yeah, it was cool, though. But he's an, uh, but actually, he's from um, America's Got Talent. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, I don't ever watch that show. So I worked on that show for like well, a little bit. I'm sorry. It was interesting times. Uh, leading out of this kind of funny uh, and fun uh, project like Crypto Chaos Cards, we're going to take something a little bit more serious. And we are actually super happy because we got to meet Lynn Albrecht with FreeRoss.org, the mother of Ross Albrecht, of course. Friend of the show. She's been on the show twice. Yeah. Uh, now we get a third time in person uh, to catch up with her. And Daniel, man, it was like really great to see her. Andy was so happy. I, I was, was very happy, happy too. But Andy was you know like, how I am. It was like it was like he was meeting one one of his family members they hadn't met in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think because uh, it's like I've, even before we interviewed her, I was very invested in his whole story and yeah. stuff. So I've been very supportive, and I was super happy. And she sent out like an awesome tweet for us, like it was wonderful. Where she's like, you know, it was finally great to meet you guys in person. And uh, we'll go ahead and let. Lynn, catch us up on some stuff. Thank you. Here you go. We're here with a very special friend of the show, Lynn Albrecht with FreeRoss.org. It's so great to see you, Lynn, in person. It's wonderful to see you. How are you? Um, I'm great. This is a great um, conference. It's so good to meet you guys. You've been such always fun to talk to, always interesting. Um, Yeah, I've met so many great people here and gotten a lot of, you know, I always wish the kind of support I get at places like this that Ross could be getting it directly. But I'll see him on Sunday, and I'll try to convey it to him. Uh, is there any any updates with anything that's going on with Ross? I know we've caught up with you a lot, but is there any new things going on in the space? or any? What are you currently trying to do yeah. at, from this point forward? Right. Well, we just passed uh, 96,000 on the petition, so that's awesome. And we really, if you haven't signed it, it's amazing how many people support us, and then they go, no, I haven't done that yet. I mean, please, sign the petition. FreeRoss.org slash petition. My goal is 500,000. But I, I know we can get a hundred soon, so please help us. Um, so the, and then basically, you know, we really just want to get to the president and have him understand that the, and, and and agree that this sentence was egregious. It's draconian. It's it's a horrible precedent for excessive sentencing. And you know, for a nonviolent person, first-time offender, to get double life plus forty, nobody should have that. That is nonviolent. Nobody. Yes. And um, this is an abuse of government power, and it's part of the of what our, our criminal justice system is doing that is so un-American, so wrong, and um, evil, really. What are what are people coming uh, that come up to you here at WCC? What are their biggest questions? What are some things that, they, that you find surprising that they ask, or what do you talk to them about as they're coming over here? Well, the bigger questions for me are <clears throat> the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, the drug war, and it's all co- combined, and uh-huh. what they're doing to people. And people come up to me to tell me their story. And it's amazing how many people have a story of being, I started my morning with a guy that came up and said how he was, um, they put the kingpin charge on him too. He got out of the whole thing. They, you know, that's what they did with Ross. You know, it's like these chart, these very heavy charges that are, that don't even apply. The other thing is our privacy. You know, people in cryptocurrency are very concerned about privacy. And Ross's case was an example of where the Fourth Amendment was absolutely ignored. And, um, and it's still going to be ignored because the Supreme Court did not take Ross's case and basically leaves all of our internet browsing history and habits and information open season for the government to pry into in secret and do whatever they want with it without a warrant. And this is absolutely opposed to the Fourth Amendment. And so our protections 
for privacy are being decimated and you cannot have a free society without privacy. It's just you can't have a surveillance state and a free state. There's just no way. So that's another big question. Nice, uh, very nice. Where, uh, what is your, after this, I know you're going to see Ross on Sunday, as you said, but um, wh where's your next travel steps? Where can people see you in the future, if possible? If they need you to know, I don't have any conferences actually scheduled until Liberty Forum in February. In okay. Brisk and bracing winter of yeah. New Hampshire. <laughs> uh, I'm like, ah. Oh. But anyway, I'm going because I love them. Uh, but, um, you know, you never know. So just basically social media, contact yeah. you, uh, that, the whole freeross.org, yeah. everything. Exactly. Good to go. And it's possible we're hoping that Ross will be relocated, in which case I'll be looking at possibly relocating myself because okay. I like to, I want to be near him so I can visit him regularly and so he has a lifeline to the real world. It's kept, it's, I think it's really been a big part of him staying as sane and as well adjusted as he is in there, you know? Yeah. Well, we are full support on our show always. We send, we, we send links. We love having you on the show and now meeting you in person. So it's wonderful to meet you. Please check out freeross.org. Sign a petition. I believe there's like a red banner on the top. Hit yeah. that. Help, help Lynn. Help Ross. The description, the, the link will be in our description yes. as well. Yes. One quick, other quick thing is sure. we have a really cool thing up there called Railroaded. Okay. The targeting and caging of Ross Ulbricht. That is a narrative based on the record with an audio component that is riveting. It really is. And oh, it's okay. all footnoted and by the record. And when you see what's in that thing, you're like, what is he doing in there? Wow. Wow. Insight into how they operate in terms of investigations and court actions. It's pretty interesting. So, I mean, I can't tell you how happy I was to meet her. It's really cool. Like, you do, like, a bunch of really serious interview episodes in our catalog, Daniel. Those mm -hmm. were some serious ones. Um, and then to meet her in person, her booth was cool. I think she was on the, the top floor at WCC was the best yeah. floor. So it was nice to see Lynn in a good area. I'm sure she got a lot of people coming up to her. I saw she looked really happy. A lot of people were talking to her, yeah. asking She's her the questions. She's hopeful to get these uh, petitions signed, get that, yeah. that signature count up. So definitely, if you haven't done so yet, go to freeross.org and And if you are interested in this particular story about Ross and his journey on how, you know, if we can get his sentence down or get him out, uh, we are always up to date on it. So if you're interested, that's another thing that we will definitely guarantee that we're going to be on top of and following. Uh, coming out of Lynn, uh, we actually had a really, really interesting interview with, uh, what was her name? With Insignia? Insignia. I let Daniel say because it's a very hard name, very, very, very cool name. I've never heard that before. With Syndicator. And she was super informative, Daniel. Uh, very smart. She travels all over the world. So let's throw to Insignia. Um, Syndicator creates an ecosystem where people can actually make forecasts about crypto markets and traditional markets. Um, this helps them to understand more about the industry to get some um, deep understanding actually because we do provide a lot of educational information for that. But also what Syndicator does is that we collect this collecting wisdom, uh, we collect this data and because people still can be biased, people can want to cheat the system. So we need to clean this data and that's where artificial intelligence comes in. So we call our approach hybrid intelligence and that means that we enhance collective wisdom with AI. Wow. Uh, can so we, go yeah, ahead. Go for it. No. I was going to say, so collect, just to, just to give some layman's out there, what is collective wisdom? Is there a way to break down 
what exactly in AI you're doing. Uh, just kind of break it down for us a little bit. Absolutely. So we have a platform where more than 117,000 people are registered already. They are financial analysts, both professional and unprofessional, but people who are actually very much interested in, in the crypto world. And they make forecasts, they answer our questions about um, cryptocurrencies, about the market sentiment, about like what's going on. Uh, we have six type of different questions. We have like 20% of the questions about traditional markets, so people just can see where they're good at, and 80% about crypto market. And these, these our data, this is our collective wisdom. People answering the questions, they are incentivized to be accurate because we have rating system and if people uh, have positive rating um, to the end of the month, they are rewarded. Uh, so, what is? Has there been anything interesting that you've discovered in this data collection personally? Because I know I've been reading about AI uh, diagnosing cancer di and uh, and uh, legal AI also as well, kind of getting accurate um, in regards to some some things. Have you discovered anything interesting in regards for you guys? Well, well, AI helps us actually to <coughs> be to make the data more transparent and to make it more valuable because when AI collect the data from the internet, from Twitter and all, all this stuff, it's still um, not very easy to determine which are the bots or not. F on our platform, uh, even if uh, there will be an attack of thousands of bots, our system will not let affected our um, indicators and signals because everyone on the platform has its own history and you need to make at least like 20 forecast before uh, the system will actually count you in so this help us to uh, like make this data actually accurate and valuable so what is the ultimate goal for for syndicator what is it that you guys would like to ultimately do well we we've been established in 2015 so we are here for a while and uh, the products are already since last year and um, we create this very valuable um, indicators, signals, and market market sentiment that help traders and investors make effective decisions for asset management. Wonderful. That's that's really interesting. And I, I just want to could you give us a little bit of background on you and your educational background? Because it sounds like you're doing. You know, yeah, I, I. How did you get into AI? Yeah. How did you get into AI? I first got into blockchain, and I uh, assume that I'm blockchain girl. That uh, <laughs> and it just I got in like more than a year ago and I was uh, so uh, fascinated by the disruptive um, um, possibilities of this technology and since th since then um, I s visited like thousands, not thousands, hundreds of conferences and meetups and I see that <coughs> still a lot of to develop but this technology can really be disruptive in so many areas and, and make real social impact and actually help um, the data to be transparent and to move the data to people so they can own their own data. Wow, that's really interesting. And and again, you're from Russia, correct? Well, I'm originally from Russia. Uh, yeah, I'm. I've been doing a lot of things. My background is in journalism, and that helped me to uh, know how to analyze things and how to write, to how to ask the right questions, which I think is one of the most important thing, uh, like in any uh, profession. Um, but I've been doing PR, business development, marketing for more than 10 years already. So in your travels, where has been the most um, interesting crypto conference or, or like where you've seen like the crazy, not the craziest, but like where do you think the most enthusiasm has been in, in any part of the world, do you feel? 
Uh, yeah, I've been to different conferences in Russia, the U.S., uh, different states, uh, South Korea, Hong Kong. Uh, this is what I can speak about. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of travel. This month I had 11 flights. Wow. Oh my God, that's a lot. Yeah, it is, that's crazy. Uh, next month I will lay down. You just go to sleep. <laughs> rest. You, you need to have some rest. Yeah, but uh, every, every country is different. I would say that in South Korea, where we have a soft launch now, where I'm, I'm actually located, I'm actually based in Seoul right now, um, people, people are very enthusiastic about cryptocurrencies. They don't really understand a lot about it, but they want to make money and they deep they dive and dig very deep and um because there is a such uh, term in korea bali bali which means like hari hari they work a lot they work very very fast and uh, this is what happened with the cryptocurrencies as, as well they develop the, the industry and the um, understanding of it very fast what did you think of a uh, syndicator um, I don't know a whole lot about AI like I when you, when I think of AI I think of you know robots obviously but I'm learning a lot more and we we happen uh, I, I really feel like there's two things that we need to focus on when looking at crypto technology in the future one is gaming that was all definitely Andy definitely pointed that out to me very early on so if you're listening to the podcast we actually are very gaming centric we just unfortunately had no gaming people to talk to at this one they did have a blockchain well, they gaming know that, discussion I, mean, and I they saw had william one. quigley walking around who's been on the show yes, before but there was nobody we were able to speak with at the time we yeah and there were a busy. few gaming centric ones but we were just running around uh, yeah. had no focused ones we wanted to go after really yeah but um the other one is ai and its use cases and so he uh, sorry uh Insenia gives a little a great explanation about the one and also we have another one later on that we'll be talking to that t talks about ai um and that's it's not what you think, I feel. I feel like a lot of people are misinformed of what they think AI is. Yeah, but uh, so if you're interested in Syndicator, take a look. Uh, they're, they're, well, they're decently known, uh, Allcoin. Uh, they've been around for a bit. Uh, but moving on from that is something pretty interesting, and that's the Mt. Gox Recovery uh, Corporation. And we got to interview the, one of the main guys there, Oliver Wright. Uh, he's the lead counsel and attorney of law. Um, this is about getting money back for the people that lost money and suing Mt. Gox trustees. But I'm going to let Oliver yeah. go a little bit more into it. So here's Oliver Wright with the Mt. Gox Recovery. It's the Mt. Gox Bitcoin Recovery Corporation. And here on the 10th anniversary of Bitcoin, what we are doing is announcing our effort here to bring together sources of capital, uh, claimants or those who have lost money in the, Bitcoin, in the, in the Mt. Gox debacle, and to sort of marry those two along with a team of professionals, legal professionals, friends of professionals, what have you, um, to actually go out and do what is necessary that the trustee in the current bankruptcy is not doing, and that is make these victims whole in, or, or you know, as close to whole as we can hope. And uh, what, what was the motivation behind it? But where did it all start? How did you guys kind of get this going, the ball rolling? Why did, you, why did you guys think it was important? Well, the larger, the larger importance is there's right now – we feel, or I feel like, not just right now, but over the last few years, with these hacks of these exchanges that have been um, essentially the heist of the century, I guess you could call it, like the great train robbery, but on steroids. And nobody's really been punished. There's been no justice, in my opinion. And I think until there is some sort of justice and some sort of accountability, the larger adoption is unlikely to happen. 
uh, in, in the, you know, the larger adoption by the mainstream, if you will. As long as perps are not being pursued, let alone caught, as long as victims are not being compensated, as long as banks, intermediaries, other third parties that perhaps were maybe not complicit, but had some role in the, um, the, the loss until they are held accountable until all avenues are pursued and exhausted and justice is in fact achieved, then we can start perhaps with talking about this being the, the thing that it should be, which is a replacement for fiat currency and the central banking system. Is there something that, what, what do the victims need to do in, in terms of what would you like them to do in, with, with you? What I would like is, I would like them to know that first and foremost, if they have not filed a claim by the October 22nd deadline, which is now passed, that is not, a death knell of their of their claim. There is still there are avenues that can be pursued, but they still have to act quickly. So to get in touch with me uh, or somebody else with the organization quickly, so we can at least give them some guidance on what they might do. But aside from that, it's they need to understand that there's differing opinions on the actions of this trustee in the bankruptcy, whether or not he's been acting in their interests or in all creditors' interests or not and whether or not he's been maximizing the value of the state correctly. And, um, and so that, those are some things that we are a little critical of the, the proceedings in Japan and how they're going. Secondly, there's direct causes of action outside the bankruptcy that can be taken against a whole constellation of defendants that we've identified, and we've identified causes of action as well. And we think that those are all fruitful avenues that we will pursue aggressively, and we think the end result is going to be um, uh, as close to a full recovery as you could want for those that were damaged, not just at Mount Gox. This is scalable, if you will. There's been other exchanges. Yeah, I was going to ask because there's other hacks that's happened. Like, how yeah. would this affect those situations? Like, what are you trying well, to I do? Well, I think it sets a precedent. I think it's a model by which you could do the same thing elsewhere. I mean, every single exchange, it seems, has been hacked, and it's usually written off. It's usually written off like, oh, you know, like, okay, the, the exchange is broke. Um, the, the thieves are uncatchable. Um, the, the, the banks that they're plugged into are untouchable. Um, but the victims and the, and the victims go, you know, on the victims are the, the victims are the only ones who, who are, they continue to get victimized. Nobody else. There's no justice. Yeah. And I, I mean, everyone writes it off to that. The fact we're in the wild, wild west of, of this kind of technology. But the truth is there's, I, I was wondering if there was anything that we could actually do for those. Like I got. Poloniex like froze everybody's accounts and forced everybody to basically give their identity, which I understand why. But the the way they do it and the way that some people are still victimized by that uh, astounds me. And there's nothing. Everybody feels very helpless. I know. And, and the Wild West, I don't you know, I don't like that analogy because there's no different theft. Theft is theft. OK. Yeah. yeah maybe. And, and blockchain, if anything, should make it. A little more, a little, a little easier, you know, when you can track. Now it's still anonymized, yes, but in my opinion, if you can identify where these large amounts of Bitcoin were ultimately monetized, where they made that conversion to fiat, it's got to be a set. It's got to be a. It's got to be a bank. It's got to be a sovereign central bank, in my opinion, where that happened. Okay, mm -hmm. in large amounts. That's where I think you start the trail and work backward, or you go to. All the Lambo dealerships in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Except Bitcoin. <laughs> serious. I'm serious. Wow. Start there and work back. Wow. We, if the point is bring some creative, fresh thinking to this, and you might get something done instead of the old approach, which is the trustee, which is he's not even going, trustee, there's, there's 10, 12, I don't know how many altcoins from, from airdrops, forks, whatever, that were created from the Bitcoin that are assets of Mt. Gox. He's not even 
aside from Bitcoin Cash, he's not even counting that as part of the estate because it's either too complicated or maybe he thinks it's too much liability to him or whatever. So, something's got to be, you got to sell, the, at least auction off the, the private keys, do something to, to recover what's $35 million or so of value of assets to return it to the, to the rightful owners, to the uh, claimants. Yeah. Well, what is, say someone had like 10 Bitcoins, like they're not, they're not going to be able to get their complete money back. What, what are they looking at? Like, say someone had like, you know, a few Bitcoins, what are they looking at in order to receive? Okay. Through the bankruptcy right now, by my calculations, based on the assets that the trustee has versus the claims, you're looking about 15%. Okay. 15 to 20. So for if you have a 10 Bitcoin claim, you're probably going to get 1.5 to 2 Bitcoin. Now, since Bitcoin has gone up so dramatically and their basis is whatever they paid for it, then there still might be quote unquote made whole and then some based on what they, but if they had all their Bitcoin, which they still should, then they'd be millionaires or whatever. Yes. So it's, a, you know what I mean? It's kind of one of those, the, the volatility was so crazy throughout this whole time since they've been since the hack it's been crazy it, we don't but still true value is kind but of here's the thing is the, the recent conversion of it from a liquidation to a civil rehabilitation what it, the significance of that is that initially they were going to get paid out as of the fiat conversion as the as of the date of bankruptcy which was 400 something dollars this the civil rehabilitation has reset that to to bitcoin Bitcoin value today. Okay. So that was significant. Went yeah. from 400 something to 6,000 something. But tomorrow could collapse? Yes. So, could, the, you know, so yeah, the sooner you act, the more you know what's going on. Right. But that but that alone, this is a slow process for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to continue to probably go pretty slowly. So even the idea behind this bankruptcy is a little crazy because you're talking about an unrealized capital gain, Bitcoin, which is being used which is being counted as a liability against the company. It's just, there's some craziness going on here that, that defies more than one line of, of thought. You know, I'm not going to go into that. No, no, no. Um, but, um, yeah, I just think that there's, um, I think there's a lot of areas that could use a fresh infusion of thinking, expertise, capital, and tenacity, and that's what I think we bring to this, um, to this problem, which can be brought to other problems as well. What's interesting about this uh, Mt. Gox thing is that obviously this is about history, Daniel. If you're new to the space and you don't know what Mt. Gox is, you definitely have to do yourself a service to go back and figure out what that, uh, figure it out. Take a look at it because this is something that affects the future. Actually, this whole this whole process, this whole trial. If he accomplishes what he wants to do, that means that that the wild wild west is basically over. People can be held accountable for. The, what did make me sad a little bit was it was only about 15% according to what he was saying. But I don't know if that's going to be the case in the future. We'll find out. Yeah, um, I'm interested to follow this. And there's someone that I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see. This is something we're probably going to see in the if news. If you are a part of this and, and you happen to be listening to us, can you let us know how it goes and, and your story in a little bit? Uh, reach out to us. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, the Coinboys at thecoinboys.com. Uh, moving on. Right along, uh, we spoke to a really interesting company called Switch. That's and we spoke with Evan, who's the co-founder and managing director. And this is something that's dealing with the energy space with cryptocurrency and blockchain. Is yeah, that it was real interesting. Very informative. And once again, AI. Correct. Uh, throwing to Evan. Uh, Switch is a uh, blockchain development of a company project company called the Token Commons Foundation. It's a nonprofit foundation based out of. Switzerland and the U.S., and we focus on building enterprise scalable blockchains for the energy industry. So how does the energy uh, industry work with blockchain? 
So just to just to take a step back, yeah, we focus on energy because we uh, at the foundation understand that the kind of the world needs to get kind of all on the same page regarding climate change. And so energy is one of those markets that have a ton of information, a ton of access information, but nobody's on the same page. Right. And so when you look at blockchain systems in general, it's like, okay, well, we're going to get everybody on the same page and doing it in kind of a simple, simplified way. So we take the idea of ledgers. We take the idea of access to information, uh, harmonizing information sources, uh, and then Im- embedding traditional incentive markets to be able to fix problems in the energy industry and help the energy industry evolve to kind of the next generation. Interesting. And do you think there's a huge need for blockchain technology in the energy industry? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's over 180 projects now, blockchain and energy, all focused on different facets. One around, some around electric vehicle charging, some around battery storage, some around renewable energy. A lot, almost every single one of them is focused on improving the energy ecosystem, the energy grid, by enabling better access to information. And can you give me a little backstory on exactly what you do for Switch? So I'm the CEO of Switch. I'm a founder of the foundation. My background has been in energy trading since cool. 2003. So I spent about 12 years on Wall Street. Uh, I was a uh, exec- energy executive, energy professional. I did M&A. I traded. I was, uh, you know, I did sales and structuring. Uh, developed like very complex financial products. Built power plants. Uh, and then wow. about two years ago, I was working this private equity group, Riverstone. They're huge, right? I mean, they're probably top five private equity in the world, uh, in, in energy specifically. And I said, hey, there's got to be a better way to do the things that we're doing. Can I go out and just go run around the world and try to find the coolest next? newest technology that's going to disrupt the energy industry. And I spent about six months doing it, and I landed on blockchain. I landed, cool. and that was in uh, early 2017. So as somebody who just, the only thing that I know about energy is I turn on the light, and sometimes I get a blackout because of the fact that you know we're running low on energy, or there's a lot of different things. How can something like Switch help the world in terms of, is, is that what you guys are trying to redistribute trying to or what are you guys trying to do specifically so i can just kind of break down energy markets electricity specifically is one of the most complex markets in the world or one of the most complex technologies in the world we're talking about moving converting photons to electrons we talk about moving and and frequency and we talk about uh transmission grids we talk about power plants we talk about homeowners we talk about industrial the the industry itself is a you know it's 120 130 years old we, we, we went through a major transition in energy uh, when we started, uh, you know, from early days, right? We go way back when we started, you know, electricity first started. We built power plants in the middle of the cities. Fast forward 50 years, we started building giant power plants outside of the cities. And then we built huge transmission lines to get the power to the cities, which is great from a centralized approach. Uh, but it creates massive amounts of inefficiencies. And then over the last 10 years, we've gotten a significant amount of renewable energy penetration and adoption across multiple uh, stakeholders across the entire energy market. And so when you look at energy specifically, if you if you want to convert the next generation energy grid to a much more uh, flexible, optimized, edge level efficient grid, you have to empower it with data. And so we're not going to get to a clean tech future around rooftop solar and battery storage unless everybody is reading from the, sa- the same sheet of paper. And clearly, the blockchain systems allow for uh, the ability to share information without divulging too much information, allowing for permissioned access to data. Uh, and right now, the energy markets are highly competitive. So who's going to start sharing that information, right? Why would one retail energy company, let's say somebody in you know, SoCal Edison, want to share that information with someone that they're competing with? If we don't start sharing that information, we'll never get to a renewable energy future. So 
this is the reason for the company. The company wants to harmonize, create a, a single sheet of paper, a global ledger to be able to manage that. So what kind of information is it that you're trying to specifically gather? Because, I mean, how, other than how much energy that I use, is there something more than that? Yeah, you want to start to gather uh, uh, basically predict what type of energy you're using and when, when you're going to come home, when you're going to turn the lights on, when is your HVAC system going to turn on, uh, be able to control that information. So not just when you turn on your house, but also inform you of when to not turn on using AI. Uh, also production as well. So not just knowing when you're going to be home and turn your lights on, but if your rooftop solar system is going to generate or not generate, uh, whether or not the power plant in your neighborhood is going to be on or off, whether the power plant in your region is going to be producing carbon-rich power or carbon-free power, all of that information, that data associated with energy production and consumption, is high, it's, it's high velocity, it, it produces every five seconds, uh, and it has a, a ton of meta information, very rich data sets. And how is that beneficial to you guys, knowing, knowing that information? So the data can inform the next level of artificial intelligence, machine learning systems to predict and optimize energy production and consumption at the edge. So think fog computing and how uh, fog computing is going to enable edge-to-edge -edge computation and edge-to-edge -edge device communications. It's, no, no, it's not dissimilar to that. You have every home can be its own node. Every home can act as a node in a network and participate in, in uh, the energy network specifically around data exchange as well as energy exchange. How do you feel that this could help make shift towards a greener energy, a more cleaner energy? So clearly you need to have good information to be able and good tracking of that information to be able to, it's on two hands. One hand is we need better ways to track the information so that we can incentivize the right types of energy behavior. So if we don't know who's producing, who's consuming, who's generating green energy, who's consuming dirty power, who's producing dirty power, there's a major issue there. The second piece is really in relation to how do we get more how do we get more capital to flow into those markets? As I mentioned before, if you don't have a, what I would call situational awareness or a hyper aware edge level energy grid, you will not get the energy adoption that's required in order to manage what they call intermittent resources. So if you look at the traditional energy markets now, you have power plants, big natural gas facilities, big coal facilities, big nuclear facilities that are very reliable. You know how much generate, it's almost like turning a dial. If I turn the dial up to 10, it generates 10 units of power. If I turn it down to two, it generates two units of power. And so I can manage the grid very efficiently with large scale energy resources, traditional thermal, uh, electric, they call them dispatchable resources. When we talk about renewable energy, micro hydro, wind, solar, uh, um, pneumatic power, any of those other uh, resources that you can't necessarily always rely on, they call that intermittent power resources. And in, if you don't have a really good machine learning libraries, data sets around AI, predictive analytics, predictive uh, intelligence, it's very hard to understand exactly when those assets are going to generate. So if it's a cloudy day, there's not going to be enough solar generation to power enough homes. And so your, your homes need to know that it's going to be cloudy. So when your homes, and this is a very, very unique, very targeted example, but if your homes know it's going to be cloudy for the next two days, instead of using all the energy today, it's going to conserve energy. It's going to, instead of cycling your, your, uh, your air conditioner, it's going to cycle it less. Instead of, uh, instead of uh, running your, your, air, your uh, refrigerator at four degrees, it's going to run it at eight degrees. And so, and when you have a battery installed and the world will have distributed batteries, this will be the future in the next five years, not the next 15 years. Your battery is going to need to know when to charge and when to hold its charge and when to discharge. And so hmm. this is not capable of happening if unless we have a blockchain-based infrastructure to power it. So uh, something I cut out of that, uh, if you, you heard he mentioned he worked on Wall Street, 
um, I asked him, what was it like to work on Wall Street? And he says it's everything and maybe more than you, you imagine. Like you see it in the movies. And I can't imagine. But he was in energy trading, Daniel. That I can't even imagine. I don't even know how that works. That's big. Thing, like energy, the energy industry in the world is huge if you think about it. Like, sure, I can like, think about that. It's pretty easy to think about. No, no, but I mean like the amount of money that, that tosses around in the energy. Absolutely, because you, everybody needs energy. <laughs> Everyone does, but that's what I'm just getting to a point is that some people don't realize the kind of like I didn't even know that you could trade it though. That's one thing I, I wasn't aware of. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm really really interested even more in Switch. I didn't know much about it when we came in. I little to nothing, but they reached out I, to us. I'm still I still have a lot of questions about it to be honest. Um, it, it, to me, it's very interesting what he's doing. I have just a lot of questions, especially when it comes down to um, how who benefits from where, who benefits what, um, because it, he said it was a nonprofit. So who's being helped? And that's a question that I would love to get answered. Yeah, and that's uh, we'll, we'll we'll update you on Switch down the line on the Coin Boys podcast. But moving on, uh, one that has to do with the car industry and mo- and primarily in the insurance industry is uh, Vouch for Me. And uh, we got to speak to the CEO, uh, Slovenian descent, uh, Matt Peterman. Here's Matt. So uh, basically, we are helping good drivers to reduce their premium because why good drivers are paying a high amount of premium. I have no clue. Uh, probably because it's just they're basing, they're basing it off of statistics that they got. I mean, 10% of the claims are fraudulent in the U.S. Uh-huh. Another 5% is overpricing, which means that bad drivers are putting the, their, 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 let's say, cost to good drivers. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem which we're trying to solve. So we're trying to solve something for 1.3 trillion industry where 100 billions is lost due to fraud okay. and sometimes also due to bad drivers. We are enabling with the blockchain to bring back the insurance as it was at the beginning. You talked about blockchain, so let's get a little deeper into how blockchain is going to help your project. Okay, so basically what we're saying that I don't need to underwrite you. I don't need to check your Facebook account. I don't need to check your Google links. I don't need to check your geolocation. What I want is that your mother, your friend, or anybody says he's a good driver and I'm willing to support him by putting my credit card in and saying only in a case if he does at fault claim, I will copay. Really? We put that on a blockchain. Why we put that on a blockchain? Because then you have proof and of course you're in control of it your data is held by you not by an insurance and in that way we are basically saying hey guys we don't need to have all your data we just need that friends say we'll put your endorsements on a blockchain and with that help you and you know it's a hundred billion problem I mean, 100 billion in fraud, and a lot of fraud is opportunistic. Where you say, well, you know, I was paying for insurance 15 years, now it's time to get some money back. Okay. Okay, so um, question, let's talk about your, the outlook for the project. Where are you guys with your blockchain technology project, connecting it to your project? Where are we? Where are you going? What are you guys looking forward to? So currently we have like uh, two pilots. We'll probably write first policies out in January. 
We also today launched, uh, let's say, our unlimited products, which means that you can take your deductible and share it among your friends. Okay. It can be a car deductible, it can be healthcare deductible. We are trying to tackle the huge problem which we all have, increasing the premiums and not being disconnected with insurance. So that was vouch for me, which is something that I think we need to do a little bit more research on and yeah, learn a bit, bit about. <laughs> um, but I'm, I actually, uh, it was interesting. I met uh, one of their colleagues uh, through Twitter, and it was great to, to meet them in person and uh, get them on the show. One project that actually, you know, it came out of nowhere, this interview. Uh, someone just came up to us and was like, would you like to interview Ben Swan? And he's with a, an interesting media-centric OTT platform that uses blockchain technology, but not blockchain cryptocurrency content. Uh, so let me just have Ben introduce you to Isagoria. Announcing to everybody how we're building a brand new streaming platform, 24-7 streaming channel. It'll be blockchain-based and essentially it has three verticals, so you understand it. Number one, it's going to be a streaming channel for news and entertainment, docudrama. Think Vice, if you know what Vice is. Yep. That's yeah, of course. what we're creating, but kind of from a freedom and liberty perspective. Okay. The second vertical in it, though, is we're adding a channel um, vertical that basically takes all these channels that are being purged off of Facebook and YouTube and Google and giving them a home and a place where they can be so that people can find them there. And then the third vertical of it is we're going to build a treasury system into our platform that funds independent media and it allows our users to actually vote on that treasury on projects that can be or should be funded uh, within independent media. Oh wow! And and just to just to give our audience a background on you before we dig a little deeper, you're you're very much involved in media. Can you give us a little background? Yeah, absolutely. So 20 years broadcast journalism, worked for Fox, NBC, CBS uh, stations. Uh, I've gone independent and then went back into the mainstream, and then came out again because of cryptocurrency. Actually, because I was uh, funded and through the treasury systems of Dash and Smart Cash as sponsors for our content. So our content is not crypto content. We talk about foreign policy, we talk about politics, we talk about you know everything that's going on in the world today, but we're funded through crypto systems because we see decentralized funding as a way for independent media to be created. Now I, I see where this, I love this idea, I love what you're trying to do, I'm, and I've been waiting for something to come to fruition or something like this. But can you explain why is this, why do you think this is necessary yeah. for something like this to be put on the blockchain? Yeah, absolutely. So a year ago, if we were having the same conversation, um, it would be very difficult for me to make the case, I think, to a lot of people why this platform is necessary. You'd actually say to me, well, why does independent media need more platforms? You have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have Google. But you don't anymore, right? So, so over the last few months, what we've seen is this incredible purge that's been taking place, removing independent media off of Facebook, removing them off of Google, um, Apple, getting rid of them. Um, 800 pages were taken off of Facebook just, what, two weeks ago. It was actually the day that we first announced this project. We didn't know it was going to happen. We were announcing it, and it happened during the announcement. But 800 pages were taken down. Now, these are people on the, the right. They're on the left. They have nothing in common except for the fact that they're anti-establishment, right? So there's a, there is a coalescing right now among major tech media organizations to control who is allowed to have a voice on their platforms. What we see is that Right now, if you said, okay, I don't believe Fox, I don't believe CNN, I don't believe NBC, where do you go for independent media? Well, people have been going to social media networks, but as soon as social media decides you're no longer allowed to have a voice there and they're taking those away, that now creates the market opportunity to say, well, there needs to be a platform where that's a central hub for a lot of these voices. That's what we want to create. And the only way you do that is with blockchain. So now I have a question. Is, is, can 
um, let's say we we suddenly as Coinbase want to do a channel on your space, can we just automatically do it and just upload, or is this a voting, or we got to be voted in? No, so so you would apply to become a channel. Um, there would be very basic terms of service. You know, you can't place child pornography on there. You can't show violence, violence meaning violent acts being committed against people, no acts of terrorism, things like that. But um, other than that, it would be a very simple process to apply to become a channel and then you can actually become a channel. So you would be self-funded at that point. And then if you said, well, listen, we have a channel, but we don't make any money, right? We need to be able to survive. Well, the way you survive is then you would turn around and say, let's go to the treasury and see if the community will support us. And would you still wow, be able that's really to, interesting. Would you still be able to run advertisements as a, yes. as a business? So, so individual channels will have the right to run their own advertisements, find their own sponsors, um, fund themselves however they want. Because again, we believe in free market, and if of course, you're able to do that, go for it. Are the sponsors? Do the sponsors have to be regulated under your system, or just um, it, it, there were again loose terms of service on it? Um, but one of the sponsors that we would be looking for all over the place are crypto sponsors, right? Of course, because we recognize there's a massive, massive market, and they're not allowed to advertise in almost any place. So. Uh, so that was Ben Swan, uh, and by the way, they took a really cool picture of us. If you notice on social media, and I, I posted it, uh, Ben posted a photo of we were all posting so many pictures. It was so awesome. I know, but they, uh, I think Ben had put uh, a picture of like his experience, and we were one of those photos. It was Sweet, really cool, uh, really interesting. You want to talk a little bit about? Yeah, this? I mean, it's just it's this is where what we're looking for is use case. How are we going to use this? Um, uh, I know that there are a couple things kind of n n nobody's doing it like how he's doing it. Uh, so far, but there are other things that are kind of similar to this um, and certain things. I I, I want to see how this plays out. I'm very curious to see how if this will work and if this will benefit. One of the things that, that he mentions uh, quite often is that, you know, a lot of channels get taken down um, and their freedoms, quote unquote, or their, what they want to say gets gets restricted. And, you know, for Facebook and for Twitter to do that, listen, they have their own company. They want to run it the way they want to. That's that's fine. So if this deregulated one or decentralized one works a lot better, uh, it's an interesting economical experiment to look at. Yeah. So um, I'm curious about that as well. I mean, actually, a lot of these that we actually a lot of these we spoke to, I've been really interested in and uh, I really want to keep. You know, it's like we only got a few moments with them. And, I, you know, I'm used to our long 45-minute yeah, yeah. show. So there's just so much more you want to ask these people. But moving on from that is something very special because we're a part of it. And that's it Crypto Cake. It is near and dear to us. You want to uh, tell them a little, little bit about Crypto Cake? Yes, absolutely. We're, we are in, um, hopefully, very soon, where the plan would be in February, we're going to be starting a 24-7 cryptocurrency channel. It's cryptocurrency centric. It's not going to just be news. It's going to be other things kind of related to, and uh, we can relate it to cryptocurrency or just things that you can use cryptocurrency on. It's really fun. Uh, I'm excited. These guys are amazing. I can't say anything else more better about them. Let's let them speak. Yeah. And also, uh, I believe that we, I think either the day we post this, Monday, we will see the trailer for our mo Crypto Morning Show will be released. Yes. Right now, it's just a sizzle. And what's really funny, they were playing our... Our faces were all over that booth, yeah. which is cool. And let me tell you, some of the best swag on the floor. We're talking about Crypto Cake hat, shirt, pens, notebooks, and cupcakes. Actual delicious cupcakes. Dude, every time I went down there, I saw uh, Lee, who, we, who we're going to throw to here, which is Steve and Lee, who are the founders of Crypto Cake. Lee was just so excited to bring the cupcakes down every day. Every day there was like the cupcake day. So uh, let me just have them explain what Crypto Cake is. This is uh, Steve and Lee with Crypto Cake. Crypto Cake is the very world's first dedicated 24-hour, 
seven days a week, solely focused television channel on cryptocurrency, blockchain, and fintech. It's news and entertainment. So if you don't want to sleep and you don't want to eat and just learn about cryptocurrency for 24 hours, you can watch our network. When you guys launch, what are you looking for? What are we going to What are you hoping for? Yeah. Uh, well, when we launch, uh, we're going to be launching 14 different television formats. Uh, the main course is, of course, news and interviews. Uh, but then we have side dishes, uh, different television formats, everything from crypto gaming to crypto poker to, uh, you know, women of crypto, uh, blockfolio challenges where folks compete, traders compete with $500 and see how high they can get their blockfolio. Um, you know, we really want to be the, the sort of CNBC meets Cheddar meets Vice, you know, with the sole focus on cryptocurrency and blockchain entertainment. That's awesome. And uh, I think we're in one of those. I have uh, a great authority that you have two <laughs> very, very handsome gentlemen probably repping you guys. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I got to say, uh, you know, this guy's a very attractive guy. Uh, my partner, <laughs> Steve, you know, oh, yeah. he, 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 he holding 43 year olds <laughs> that have kids. Yeah, he, he had the great visionary <laughs> skills to pull me aside and say, we got to do a, a channel about uh, cryptocurrency. And then the light bulb went off and we, we can do this. We got it. You know, we come from a background of film and TV. Steve sold some successful stores on uh, television, CMT, Sony, Crackle. And uh, I've worked in the industry over 20 years, uh, film and television. Uh, we have the synergy to get this done to, uh, you know, take the world currency. And we are the uh, channel, the world channel for world currency. So there it's going to be uh, fabulous when we launch. Real just quick, why, why crypto cake? Well, I give Lee credit for coming up with the name. Um, originally, we wanted to be Crypto TV, uh, but it was too generic, and it was very hard to get reservations under all the apps. Uh, and Lee, we were kind of just going back and forth for days. You know, we, we, we can't name it Crypto TV. It's too hard to, to, to brand because it's too generic. And Lee was actually eating a cupcake, and he goes, what about Crypto Cake? And, and actually, you know, I, I actually looked it up. You know, uh, cake is another word for uh, money. So yeah, give me that cake. Yeah, give I, me I that guess cake. people don't say it as often, but that's true. Yeah, I, I also feel if you're very confident saying any word, it could be money. Like, uh, give me that toilet paper. Like, thankfully sure, we chose Daniel, cake. I'll say yes on that. Sure. And then also, you know, say about the logo. You know, the logo is a three-layer cake uh, with um, RGB colors in it, so that represents the uh, TV screen. And then uh, we've got the lines in there, like a Tron-like look uh, that represents the uh, crypto. And the uh, black icing is, uh, tells you that when you watch the channel, you learn from it, you, you learn to improve your uh, portfolio, and you're going to be in the black. So that's why uh, we, we did the logo as such. I love the idea. How do you feel about going into 2019? Are you, like, where's, where's the ceiling here? We're absolutely thrilled. You know, we're thrilled to be on the cutting edge. We have the, a cutting edge channel that's coming out with cutting edge technology. And to be able to uh, help uh, foster this and turn it into a legitimate industry that the mainstream is going to be adopting, it's, we're going to look back on this and hopefully uh, you know, books are going to be written about it. And when we launch, we want everybody to be uh, you know, looking at CryptoCake as a trustworthy, uh, first in line information uh, a place where you can go and get any, any, any information and entertainment about cryptocurrency. And also, we are publicly traded, uh, which took about a year and a half uh, to you know, go through the SEC as they're very picky uh, as to which cryptocurrency and fintech companies uh, they're Yeah, we have to, to have transparency. So we have to have utter transparency. 
and uh, we also have a mining company as another subsidiary, although it's a lot smaller than CryptoCake, but uh, we do trade under ticker W-E-B-B, and uh, you know, we were super excited. The Coin Boys, of course, uh, were a part as you, of the pilot. Uh, Good morning, Crypto, and they just killed it. Uh, absolutely the best and the brightest and, and the most, most well, articulate, well, cleverest folks you. in the... Thank- uh, so yeah, if uh, check out Crypto Cake, we will be of all the people yes, that we want you to out. go like and subscribe. It's gonna be Crypto Cake because we are a part of it. We are in it. We love this idea of a crypto centric TV network. So help yeah, support Crypto Cake, and we'll g- be giving you updates as we go along. Yes, and moving right along is an interview that Daniel did on his own, and that's with Cheap Air uh, yes. Shannon from Cheap Air. Uh, yeah, I was because here's the thing: we we preach use case, we preach using it for things that you want to use it for. Uh, Cheap Air accepts cryptocurrency. I've heard about them for a while because when you look up ways to use Bitcoin and other another cryptocurrencies to buy and sell things that you want to buy and sell, uh, their 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 name comes up quite often for travel. So here's Shannon with Cheap Air. Yeah. So um, actually, our sort of cryptocurrency journey um, started back in 2012. Um, our company CEO, Jeff Klee, um, he's really well known in the travel industry and in, in the travel space. And um, he's, we're really a customer focused company. So he actually had somebody come to him, um, just emailed him in fact, and said, hey, um, would you guys be um, ever th- consider accepting Bitcoin? Um, I wanna buy some flights and I wanna pay with my Bitcoin, I'm an investor. And he was kind of like, hmm, what's Bitcoin? And got a little interested. He's a bit of a, um, a technology geek himself and he's um, a developer. And so it turns out that it was not such a difficult thing for us to incorporate into our platform, into our website. Um, because we're not a multinational organization, we're a smaller travel company. Um, Jeff was able to sort of work on a solution for us. We started working with Coinbase initially to accept Bitcoin. They became our processor for a couple of years. Um, And then um, early this year in 2018, um, we decided to kind of change course a bit. Um, We now take, uh, we use an open source solution to accept Bitcoin. Um, And we're using, we're working with a company called uh, GoCoin, uh, most everybody knows. Um, They're actually um, processing Litecoin, uh, Bitcoin Cash, and Dash for us. So we have a longer, uh, I think a a pretty long relationship in terms of cryptocurrency um, as being a company sort of in our travel space that's taking those currencies. There's not really, still nobody really doing it. Yeah, I'll be honest, the first time I ever heard of you guys and I've been, I'm so happy I actually get to meet somebody here at, a, at the booth is because whenever you think of using cryptocurrency, I'm, our, our podcast is big on adoption and use, using it. Yes, holding it is nice, but it's not going to be adopted unless somebody uses it to spend on stuff. So um, cheap air is like one of the first things that comes up for travel, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, what I'm just curious, has there been any kind of interesting uh any interesting like either hiccups or interesting things that you weren't expecting when when you guys switched over to cryptocurrency I would say um, we had we had a hiccup this year we uh, when our relationship with um, coinbase um, we realized we weren't gonna be able to work with them anymore um, they changed uh, they changed course a bit so we sort of found ourselves at a crossroads like do we keep taking Bitcoin um, do we figure out another way to to process or do we um, abandon cryptocurrencies, which is what um, one of our competitors, I won't say by name, um, uh, did, a bigger company than ours. And and Jeff 
over the course of us working with our crypto customers, um, in the travel space, it's really hard to build community. And over the past few years, our crypto customers have just been loyal to us and engaged with us. And um, so what Jeff did was he put out a sort of an APB into the crypto community. Um, he wrote a letter, we tweeted it out, and we asked people in the community for help and said, you know, this is what what's, is what's going on with our processing and we want to keep taking crypto. What should we do? And that's sort of how he came to this open source solution. And uh, yeah, so even our hiccups sort of turned out sort of turned out to be positives because it it showed us that there are people in the crypto space that want to help us, that want to keep us there, and want to keep working with us. And so, for us, it's kind of been a no-brainer. Like the upside's been much more than any downside we found. So. Now, this is just out of curiosity. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I I would I would hope uh, maybe there there's some answer. Let's say for whatever reason something happened and, uh, you know, like I'm about to take a trip and, you know, somebody in my family passes away and I no longer take that trip and I need that refund. Now, does the refund come back by way of cryptocurrency or does it come back by way of fiat out of curiosity? Yeah, actually, that's a really good question. Um, at the moment, it does come back fiat because once um, once you pay with your crypto, we um, do a... a you know, we do the processing on our end, and then we basically have to pay our vendors, the airlines, the hotels in fiat. So, the refund process is at the moment um, it does come back in fiat. So, wonderful. So, in your choice, if you if you had a choice between dollars or crypto, fiat or cryptocurrency for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? If I had my choice, I would have been mining um, Bitcoin back in <laughs> in 2010, 2011. Um, we do have a couple of guys that work because you know we're an online um, company. There are a couple of guys on our staff that were miners and got in early that have, um, I think, very, I'll say various levels of success with it. But, um, but yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's the future. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not all in on it yet. <laughs> but I'm definitely an enthusiast, and like, I'm, I think it's, I think people should be paying attention to what's going on. Uh, so yeah, I, I actually uh, I liked I liked Shannon a lot. Uh, I got to meet her after you had interviewed her. Yeah, it's nice that they're such big promoters of the space. I mean, they they don't really. It didn't sound like they are gaining anything. Or I don't I have no clue uh, when it comes down to how they what they're keeping as reserves. If they're keeping cryptocurrency as reserves, or they or they're just completely returning it to fiat. But I like that they're trying their best to implement everything and use it. And you know, she said it herself. She, at one point, they weren't able to do it because Coinbase changed their policies. And but they reached out to see what they could do to continue accepting cryptocurrency. And I'm all for that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then moving on to actually, we've attended a uh, an event for these guys here in Los Angeles. It's Split, and uh, we actually have uh, TJ and Meredith, who also Meredith is well known. She's kind of an uh, enthusiast in the Twitter space as well. Both of them gave us a little bit perspective and a little bit more information on what Split is. Here's TJ and Meredith. Split is a process to decentralize e-commerce. We have a protocol right now um, that's really going to create a global inventory. So a lot of small and medium-sized businesses right now, they're at the mercy of these larger companies like Amazon or Alibaba where they're getting cuts taken out of things that they could earn on their own. And um, What Split's going to do is really bring e-commerce back to a peer-to-peer -peer protocol. 
one thing I will say is that, um, you know, for everyone knows what e-commerce is, you know, that's shopping online. But what a lot of people probably don't realize is the fact that these shops, so people who, you know, they have to go through um, a shop or someone to process these payments, transactions, list things, and they're, they're paying upwards of, you know, 20 to 30% of their sales back to these companies. So it's for, awful. Yeah. Yeah. I used to list stuff on eBay and... I get the, I get the, my fee from PayPal. I get my fee from eBay. I get my fee. I'm like exactly. it's ridiculous. Exactly. And so and so by the time it's all said and done, it's really hard for you know people who have smaller e-commerce businesses or like people who are doing drop shipping and things like that to get ahead and to um, you know be able to expand their reach, put more money back into building out their brand. And so ideally, with our marketplace, we're going to create a more fair, even playing field. You actually brought up a good point about how right now, if you're if you're starting off, you need a list your product on several different platforms right yes. and that causes risk of uh, double sales um, and what our product can do is you we say list post once list everywhere right so if you have one item that you want to post anybody that's on that blockchain protocol that's on the split protocol will be able to access that and what I get to do as a seller is I get to determine what the affiliate reward is I don't I'm not at the mercy of any third party I can say this product is worth $20 I'm gonna give person a $1 reward or if I need to up it and I want to make more sales, I want to really create an incentive, I get to choose maybe I want to up it to $5 for the reward if I really want to push that sale out. Um, so we use, um, we use smart contracts and escrows to make sure that we have secure transactions. Are you guys making sure that it's um, that regulations are in place to make sure that nobody's doing any shady stuff or, or is it completely decentralized? How's that working? We're not actually going to be the ones governing the protocol, right? We're going to be, um, the, the token holders really are going to be the ones that govern the protocol. So okay. we really are going to try to bring it back to um, equilibrium where, you know, if there's, if there's scams happening, right, on the protocol, we have something, we have a very unique way of arbitration. We use um, a game theory around poker, so you have to stake. Okay. So anybody who, it's an incentive for people to act good, and we disincentivize people to act bad. So okay. will there be those people? We can't control that, but will we be able to find the right outcome through this arbitration system? Absolutely. And what do you guys think of WCC in general? What did you think of the show uh, this year? It's the last day, so I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I know a couple of the organizers. So, um, I mean, as far as the conference goes, unfortunately, you know, like I did not actually get to go to any talks at all. I've mostly just been, you know, having like meetings, talking to people, hanging out with Hero, hanging out with Split. And then, um, but I mean, the, the attendees have been great because it's, you know, it's like everyone that we talk to on the internet, getting to see them face to face. It's like a family reunion every time that everyone gets together. So on that, I would say it's been absolutely wonderful what, what I will say about yes. this conference too is that I've been to a bunch of them earlier um, early in the year and the energy I think at this conference has been much more enthusiastic much more positive I feel like everybody's right now um, really rebuilding their faith and rebuilding their confidence in blockchain and crypto right now and I can definitely tell especially in the meetups like Meredith said I actually wasn't really in the speaking rooms but around the panels um, in the trade show, everybody's just really excited for 2019, and Hell I can't yeah. wait to see what it's the big conferences year. bring up. So, Daniel, yes. that will end our That interview. was all of them. That was all of the interviews that we were able to include and we get while we were there. Uh, we were running around with, I was wearing my headphones at all times, which was funny because my Avi 
my avatar has my headphones around my neck. Little so. headphones. And you had your hat, your nice hat, which is on your Avi as well. Well, yeah, and I guess that's my kind of thing. I, I wanted to Basically, take he doesn't have any other clothes, guys, and this is a problem. Yeah. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us so we can get him some little clothes. Yes. Um, no, but I just wanted to give our, our you know, I mean, we, we got to meet all these people, but I wanted to talk about the event itself and our experience a little bit before we say goodbye. So uh, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so my expectations for this was interesting because at first, you know, I was st- Daniel and I had just started doing like LA events. And I'm like, we got to go to this Worldcon because I think there's going to be a lot of people there, a lot of people from the crypto Twitter that I know. So I got us kind of registered a long time ago as media. Yeah. Um, and then we were able to become VIPs, fortunately, and I was actually added to some really cool Im- uh, groups with a lot of I- enthusiasts. Um, but I just had so much fun because I think the most exciting part for me was I wanted to meet all these people that I've been seeing online, tweeting in the space, and just building my Rolodex of meeting these people in real life. And I think it matters even more because you're making all these connections from the internet into real life and believing in the same belief. You know? Yeah, I had a d- bit of a different experience because Andy's more involved in Twitter and social media than, than I am. And trust me, I love the Satoshi Droppers so much. They've been all very, very awesome, but I'm so lagging when it comes to being a part of Twitter and all this stuff, if you if you go through my feed, it's mostly jokes, which is I like. Uh, but I also retweet stuff from the Coinboys and, and cryptocurrency stuff as needed. But um, it's what I like to do is learn. I that's the reason why we made this podcast to begin with. We wanted to basically put ourselves in check because we're investing in stuff that we didn't know really much about. We thought we knew what what it was. We thought we knew this and we thought we knew that. But turns out we didn't know as much as we thought. Um, now we're now we're better educated and that's what I was very happy to to become more educated when I walked into this space uh, and I got to talk to these people we talked to others that we didn't even interview but it it was just more that we were curious we were just wondering well we we did a lot of networking on top of this we not only was I mean if you (laughs) if you follow us on Twitter you saw I was having a good time but we were really working hard during the day and um, and also meeting a lot of people too Daniel knows I love networking, yeah. um, and that Coinboy's business card, that that which we now have, which was great because I'm pretty sure I gave out a lot of them. Yes, especially on the Vegas Strip. Oh yeah, yeah. If you saw that video, no. Uh, um, uh, Daniel, wait before we go further, I sure. want to shout out a bunch of people that sure. we met, or and I'm just gonna say up front. I'm sorry if I miss you on this, but I'm just going to think off the top of my head, and Daniel, you can help yeah, me Yeah, that's here. always a good idea. So, uh, first and foremost, I want to apologize to Tor to Crypto that we didn't get to, to catch up. I think we were just all busy. We tried to catch up, but Blake, God, it was a pleasure to meet you. I actually met Blake for the first time we in met him the a couple Om- times, yeah. In, no, I met Blake in the Omni oh, with yeah, the music blaring and him in his wheelchair just sitting there, with. Uh, and, and it was great to meet him. Uh, shout out to Crypto Wendio. Her her meetup was awesome. I think over a hundred people from the event came. It, wow, it was insane. It was so good. Like you gotta understand, that may not sound like a, a whole ton of people, but in this space, it's a lot of people at once that like crypto. That's crazy. I got to meet Cody, who's someone that works with uh, Naomi a lot in New York. Yeah. Uh, Shil Nye, of course. He, you know, there's never an event without him around. There's Digital Lawrence, Crypto Breakfast, Sanity, uh, Christopher Crypto, who's a Satoshi dropper. I got to see. Uh, Ken Bozak, who we finally got to meet in person, and I kind of got to hang out with the whole Tits crew. 
Euclid yes. Goddess Jr. Uh, everyone, Blockchain Beach especially, thanks for helping us yeah, get a couple. Crypto Collective. Crypto Collective who showed up. Uh, I know there's a lot of people to thank, but I just wanted to like. And I'm going to say his name. At who? Satoshi Light, it was nice dancing with yes. you, my friend. Yes, <laughs> and it was great. It was great. Charlie Lee came out. So it was <laughs> the first day was Halloween, and we saw they this a party. big. Great party. Yeah, we saw this big Bitcoin uh, and big Litecoin, and they were just dancing, and they would look like they were being hired for the show and stuff. And then suddenly, they get into this match, and Litecoin defeats the Bitcoin, and out from under the Litecoin outfit is Charlie Lee. Yes. It was so cool that we got to dance I with have prior to that. a few more here because I think it's fun to shout people out. The Dogecoin millionaire, mm -hmm. uh, awesome guy. Uh, Bitcoin Bella, of course, uh, was there. BitBoy, how can I forget BitBoy, the stash. Pied Piper, our good friend who we've met before. Yes. Uh, uh, a lot of people like BitLord, who's someone that I didn't really... I didn't ever watch a lot, but I always knew about him. But he was at Wendio's party. Gaston, hey, buddy, if you're listening to this, I'm not going to forget you. Yes, you're getting on soon. You're getting on. Uh, Meredith, of course, and TJ. Uh, crypto model. Crypto model, who we didn't get to meet. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of everyone because it really matters to me that, like, all these people, all the projects we met, Daniel, it yes. was so much fun. L listen to me. I was blast. He had a he had a. Did I not have a, have a I did, too. You may have seen me, <laughs> me and Crypto Sanity do a... Uh, a live tweet tweeting uh live stream on periscope yeah. i may do this randomly oh, can we so say this right me. now so <laughs> i was at the tits podcast and they were doing it really wasn't a live podcast it was just like a live stream of us sitting there eating pizza and then i leave that house and that stream and i show up at daniel's stream and they're eating pizza so because I, I saw them eating pizza and i was like we could eat better Pizza better than they can eat pizza. Their pizza was pretty good. Uh, Domino's is the shit. So I ate like seven pizzas that night. Um, but yeah, di you know, I think in general we had a great time. I think it was really valuable for us as a podcast. We got our name out there, and I also met a lot of influencers. And you know, it also felt good that a lot of people kind of recognized our name. And and it's we're getting yep. out there, Dan. Uh, people saw us with our Coin Boys T-shirts, oh. which guys. Yes. Thank you, Bit Ninja, for those T-shirts. And go to our website, thecoinboys.com. We have merchandise. Well, we're selling T-shirts and hats right now, and we're gonna get some other things up on there. Yeah, as well. and you're gonna see. We're gonna we're gonna do a campaign for the push for that uh, soon on social media, but we're uh, that's coming soon. Uh, and I'm just excited that we have T-shirts. They actually, everyone kept saying, "Nice shirt, nice yeah. shirt." Uh, they were nice shirts too. They are nice shirts. They are nice shirts. Um, Anyway, Daniel, let's talk about where these newcomers that might have joined us can find us. You can find me personally at dgutierrez84. You can find Andy at producer BTW. You can find the show at the Coinboys Podcast on Twitter, at Coinboys Cast on Instagram, or there's no ad on Instagram. Or email us, thecoinboys at thecoinboys.com. Rate, review, and subscribe us at SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. But you could just like go to our website and at yeah, thecoinboys.com <laughs> the if you want to make it easier for yourself. Uh, I'm Andy. I'm th I want to thank World CryptoCon for putting on actually a really a pretty good event. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. And I think if they did so uh, well enough this year, that next year we'll be back. Yes. And I, I, would, I would think they should keep it in Vegas as like an annual thing. That Vegas is a good place for this. Because we could drive there. <laughs> it's really close. Yeah, it's really fast. Um, but shout out to also Truth Raider who was in Malta, who's a partner with us, and he was enjoying that. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to hear from him what, what went down over there. Guys, we're here for you. We're here for you in the crypto space. I'm Andy. 
I'm Daniel. We'll see you next time. Peace.